Hello and welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast with your host, Matthew Robinson and his gaming group. This is round two, but no turn. This is the extra turn. Every round, we're going to try to do one bonus episode where we go off format and probably do some sort of a deep dive on a specific game. And today, uh, I'm very excited to have a game that uh, I... I, I, would, I never really considered to be a competitive game. In fact, it, it, yeah, are it, you excited about this, Matt? No, I, I really am. Genuinely, okay. genuinely, okay, good, I'm good, excited good. to hear how this can be competitive. Oh, okay. Um, today we are that. going to be talking about Settlers of Catan. We're going to do a deep dive strategy set, strategy session uh, on Settlers of Catan, and I have uh, Jesse, the analytical gamer, yes. with us today. And for the first time ever on Game Brain Podcast history, we have a uh, a guest on the podcast who is not a member of our weekly board game group. I have never met him before. I met him for the first time today. Please welcome Catan expert Lumen Sperling. Uh, thank you very much. I'm honored to be the first guest. I didn't even know that was uh, <laughs> an extra title for me. That's yeah. great. Our, our graphic designer was like, what board game meeple symbol do I give him? And I was like, none. <laughs> that must Just be kidding. burned. Okay. Uh, well, because nobody else in this group can discuss this game or wants to discuss this game. Sure. Or believes that this is actually a strategic game. Well, no, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think people don't believe it is a, is a strategic game. I'm really struggling with the word strategic today. It's a tough one. It's too early to, to pull out that word. Uh, but I think most people look at it as a gateway game. It is right? a gateway so, game. It certainly right. is. It's yeah. a very important game in board game culture. It, it gets people, non-gamers into the hobby. It is the magic, the gathering of board games in yeah. that it, it's, it's what draws it. It's the one that gets you hooked and maybe keeps you coming back to the board game store after that. But you know, I discovered this game in like 2006 or something mm-hmm. and nobody else I knew came out in 94, I believe. Right. Yeah. But I discovered right. 2006. Yeah. I think I saw it on board game geek and, and I just ordered it and I uh, was introducing it to my girlfriend and then some friends around the neighborhood. And um, yeah. And like, uh, it started spreading and and but then like sorry 95 yeah yeah actually came out and then like after about 10 years or five ten years it was like i was tired of hearing about it like and everyone's like oh have you seen have you heard of like a tan it's like yeah like it's like 10 years ago yeah i mean this was the first big german breakout modern board game hit yeah this was the the first one to translate and for many people this is the they still consider this this is the new board game people play you know like a lot of people <laughs> yeah. are like monopoly sorry risk yeah, the new board game is Settlers and, of Catan, right, right. and one of the great things that I'm sure makes it a gateway game is that it is so much better to play than any of those that you mentioned. Well, that's yes. Exa- so I use it as a as a gateway game for a lot of people. Like when I introduced board games to my father and and my sisters and stepmom for the first time ever, I brought Settlers of Catan. I bought them that for Christmas, and I was like this because they, they kept asking like, "You're into board games? What does that mean?" So which many people often ask. Right. And then, mm-hmm. so I just said, well, here's sort of the beginning of it all. So you can, and they got hooked. They loved it. I mean, cause people flip out for, I think the two things people flip out for is the, the fun of anything can happen when, even when it's not your turn. Right. So that, that can be an exciting right. thing. That's not in, well, I guess it is a monopoly to a certain extent, but because you're making money, people land on stuff, but like they love that. Everybody's always involved, right? right. You're excited to watch every die roll. And then the concept of bartering. Which yeah. is very exciting and fun. Keeps it alive. Keeps right. it alive. Keeps it. There's a lot of players. A huge amount of player interaction. Yep. 
in Catan, which I think is, is a great thing to get people hooked because if you sit, sat someone down and for the first time ever probably played, you know, power grid or something, it can feel like you're on your own. Good luck, buddy. We'll see you at the finish right. line. Um, but people complain about the game because a lot of people feel it is the luckiest game on earth. People well, not luckiest, but there is so some people the, the main thing you're doing is rolling a die to, to find out what happens. Right. I mean, that is, I mean, outside of like your decisions of where you're, going to be building things and everything which is of course right i think a lot of people just to i think wrap a lot of what is being said here people will assume that the game is out of their control or the luck is out of their control and i guess what me and jesse want to do today is explain why that luck is manageable within your control right what's well, a game of probabilities right i mean it, it's it, like texas hold'em sure you know, just dismissing that as a lucky game you know that's you know you make the uh the best probable decisions right over time, you will win. So hit us with your In the pet- short term, you could very well lose. And I've had some really unlucky situations happen, totally. But in the long term, like, yeah. like at the last uh, tournament... At, well, uh, that, yeah. So tell me... So uh, I was just going to bring that yeah. up. Tell me why you guys are, are, are Catan experts today. <laughs> yeah. What is your pedigree? Um, well, I've, I've been playing for since 2006 or whatever. Um, and I met Lumen at Strategicon, and they have, you know, their... That's the local Los Angeles board right, game convention, which we went, we attended last week. Right, right three times a year and the one thing that uh my board gaming group always makes fun of me is going to play the tiddlywinks what do you call the tiddlywinks tournament <laughs> yeah. the the shoots and ladders tournament uh, i'm gonna get a lot of hate mail for that yeah it's mostly because we're 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 bummed out that you are not available to play board games with us because you disappear for eight hours at a time no you come on saturdays i play the friday one if i qualify then i'll go on sunday and you're not there the day sure sure um but look i met lumen there uh, years ago, and I see him, you know, uh, every year, every three, three times, times a year. A year yeah. And w- look, this last time. So you met you met Lumen at Strategicon. Yep. Playing yeah, totally. Yeah. And uh, so this last time, we, we when you do the uh, the qualifying round on Fridays, and if you don't qualify, you can do it on Saturday. Yeah. As well, uh, you do three games. Okay. And then on, if you qualify, so it's the best, uh, they do it by wins. Number of wins and then number of total points across three games. And then there's a tiebreaker of how well you did relative to your tables. Right. And then on Sunday... So they, is there like a point system? Like first place gets four points? Is it... Uh, is it like so a you basically get points. a point for winning and then tiebreaker value is your total amount of points. And then uh, there's another tiebreaker based on percentage of points at table. So if you win two of your three games, you're just in. Okay. Uh, and then you make it to the next round. You make it the to, semifinal right, round, to the yeah. semifinal right. round, which is on Sunday. They do the semis and the finals. Unfortunately, just one game for each of those. I wish they had more games. Right. Oh, so there's a bit of variance there in terms of right. like, yes. you, you could, you could roll a lot of bad rolls. Yep. Right. So, so, uh, in the qualifying round, uh, I won two of my games and I got second in mm-hmm. one of them. Lumen, you won. I'm pretty sure. Well, I won two, and I think I got a third in my other game. Right. And then our other friend, Barack, won all three. Three and oh, yeah. And he's the one who also won his semis Mm -hmm. and then also won the finals. Right. Um, uh, And then our other friend, Hamish, Hamish won won two. Two game winner, right. Right. What kind of prizes are they offering at Strategicon? Is it mostly bragging rights? or It's mostly bragging rights. The winner of the Strategicon tournaments gets uh, 20 dealer dollars, so they okay. have 20 extra bucks <laughs> hey. at the dealer store. It used and to be a qualifying for uh, right. Gen Con. Well, it still is a qualifying for the Catan Nationals. So if you win the tournament, oh. you have a seat guaranteed for you at the Catan Nationals, which is a pretty cool thing. 
Um, and then... Which, total it, coincidence, is also at the same week as the Tiddlywinks convention. So. <laughs> uh, Catan Nationals is in uh, two weeks. Yeah, in two weeks, in I'm origins, actually... Right? Well, I'll talk about this later. But Wait, do they I'm, stream it? I want to watch. No streaming oh, as what? of yet, but they... That's crazy. Um, I'll be there, so I can report back with Ooh. how I do. All right. Um, well, before we get into everything, give me just a little bit of your background. Yeah. What, what brought you to Catan? Do you play other board games? What is your, what is mm-hmm. your board game life about? So, to back it up a tiny bit, my, in my personal life, I've always been a numbers guy. I've always been pretty good at math. Um, in college, I studied math and statistics, and my dream job is in baseball statistics. I want to work for a baseball team and analyze baseball players. Ooh, like Jonah Hill and Moneyball? Exactly Moneyball. like that. Uh, I'm wearing an Oakland A's shirt right now, there you go. Uh, which I guess nobody listening can see, uh, <laughs> but they're my favorite team. I grew up in Moneyball as a number nerd, so oh, wow. it, it was really a perfect fit for me. Um, as far as Catan goes, uh, it was probably my second or third Euro game. One of my close friends had a cousin who was a Euro gamer, and he would send my friend birthday gifts. So the first one was Carcassonne, and then I think yeah. the second or third one was Catan, and that really took off in our friend group. So I've been playing Catan often since I was in high school, and I think that was 2009. Right. So um, that's where I started with Catan. My group moved on to Cities and Nights, the expansion. Yeah, that was actually a question I had. So do you, are you guys just playing like base game vanilla in the I, tournaments? I think if I were ever to play Catan just like for fun, yeah. I would normally lean towards Cities and Nights. I think that's where the real that's, meat that's of the game is. That's one of the main big expansions. Yeah, there's a general consensus that Cities and Nights is probably the best balanced expansion. Yeah. Okay. And some people also play seafarers they'll throw that in it's kind of like it's cute it's fun it's kind of it's yeah. random it's you know to switch it up fine okay. but cities and knights is solid but for tournament play I, I don't know if i would actually want to do cities and knights so yeah i mean just in the, in the tournaments it's all base game so um, there are no tournaments with expansions involved. there is one actually uh, so the the Catan masters tournament is now doing three different expansions as the entire tournament mm, and i was gonna a, say it seems like they're kind of um not upselling their expansions if they're not going to be in the tournaments because you're not then really right. incentivized to use their sure. expansions mm. in your own games. Yeah. You seem they'd want to be like, no, we only use all expansions. Right, right, right. So go point. buy them all. Yeah. Uh, that's, I don't think I've ever played with Cities and Knights. I've only played oh. with the five or six player ex, you oh. know, extension. Okay. Right, right. No, it's um, really solid. It's great. It's, yeah, it's very solid. It's a very different experience. There's a lot more tactical moves you can make with regards right. to jumping people in points. So yeah. that's why a lot of people like it. Um, and then wrapping up my own Catan history and gaming history really quickly, I played my first Strategicon tournament in 2013 as a college junior, and that kept me coming to Strategicon just as a Catan player. Right. Um, but at Strategicon, I picked up more games. I fell in love with Agricola. Um, I'm actually the Agricola national champion. So, oh, wow. Uh, I did not I, know that. I right. do have uh, like a reason to say I know what I'm doing when it comes to some games. So, And then in Catan, I've placed exactly 17th at nationals each of the last two years which is a really good ranking out of you know 40 or 60 people or however many show up uh but what sucks is that they take 16 for the semifinals so i've been on the cusp of the national semifinal each of the last two years and by the way uh lumen wrote a program analyzing settlers in the most uh you you should you should talk about this but he showed he showed (laughs) it to me and and it's incredible can you yeah so when i was starting to play like the tournament system i wanted i was still a really big numbers guy i thought numbers were how you won Catan, um and we'll get to why it's not later (laughs) uh but uh, I wrote a program that would create random boards and analyze the best starting spots according to what my own personal opinions were at the time. And I got the program to pretty accurately choose exactly what I would choose. Um, so you have it based on the pips. That's going to be a factor. Well, a big factor is the pips. And the then, big factor but then you is would the, give weight to the ore. 
And yeah, I like give it. extra weight to the ore, wheat, and sheep, and then extra weight to whatever's rare in the game and less weight to whatever's common in the game, and then give an assignment based on, am I taking away good spots from people placing after me? Now, is, is sheep have more weight than brick or wood, or sheep in conjunction with ore and wheat? I think I gave sheep as high of a rating as ore and wheat, just for simplicity's mm. sake. Or maybe I gave it like sheep is the average one, lumber and brick are lower, and then or, uh, mm, wheat and ore are higher. I don't exactly remember anymore. Mm, I right. think the last time I touched the program was four years ago, um, after or before I got even better at Catan. Right. So just to further prove that there is skill, but it's not necessarily based on numbers. Well, I think also the fact that you are a, an Agricola champion is, is, gives, gives Catan a nice pedigree as well in the sense that like Agricola is there is very little luck in the grid, right. if any at all. There, there is some luck in the well, in, term, in terms of occupations and yeah. stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but once you once you start the game, I mean, it's it's more or less perfect information. There there is the randomness in what rounds come out. Sure, so, like, course. are you prepared for Family the lucky version yeah. or the unlucky version? Right, right, exactly. Um, well, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Wow, Agricola champion. Yeah, should have had Trey here today. <laughs> I know. I would really like to see that yeah. heads up match. Um, are there any other, do you, do you have any other games that you love that, that, that you've played in the last, you know, 10, 20 years other than Agricola and Catan? Uh, those are definitely the ones I've spent the most time on. I mean, I'm somewhere in the 5,000 plus hour range for Agricola wow. and probably a thousand plus games of Catan. So, well, I had an Agricola question and this is actually something I've been, I've been trying to f- find out by Googling and stuff and I haven't really figured out. There's a new revised edition of Agricola. Yeah. What is it and w- do I need it? So if you play with your group on the original Agricola board, you do not need the revised edition at all. What is the difference? If you are getting into Agricola for the first time, the revised edition is more friendly for people new to the game. So the cards are streamlined. There's 100 of them instead of 300 in the base set. So people get familiar with them quickly. Are they 100 different cards from the one in the original? Some are from the original and some are Mm. from other expansions. But it's a set that is friendly to creating combos. The combos are easier to spot because they changed the spots on the board to all have a certain name. Right. So if something works with day labor and this other thing works with day labor, you can see, oh, these both work with day labor. I'm going to draft them because those combo. Got it. So it's friendly to people who see the game maybe five times a year, and it's a great way for them to get introduced to the game. Now, what it, has that replaced Agricola in terms of like the, the competitive in, community? Yes. Uh, so in terms of tournaments, those will all be run with the revised from here on out. Wow. And I actually had to study the revised edition to... And what are your feelings about that as a player? Is it a less strategic game? Is it less interesting? It or? is slightly different. They did make the resources and food a bit more plentiful in the revised edition. Mm-hmm. So it feels what I call 10% towards Caverna in terms of uh, ease of getting through the tension of the game. But the skill is still there. Uh, the mongering for bonus points is still there. Right. You're going to have to be a good Agricola player no matter what edition of the game you're playing. But if you are an expert in the original edition, it will take a tiny bit of getting used to. Got it. Yeah, we that may was... need to do a deep dive. Uh, you know, maybe Trey yeah. and Lumen in the future we'll need do a an deep Agricola dive episode. Agricola one. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I'd be, I'd be more than happy to. All right, before we get into our Catan deep dive, I'm just going to do a little bit of housekeeping here today. We have one piece of news I wanted to talk about. Uh, board game designer Chad Jensen, uh, had, there was a post on Board Game Geek this week letting us know that Chad had been diagnosed with uh, cancer and is in the middle of it right now and has found out that uh, his insurance will lapse in the middle of his treatment and has put up a GoFundMe. His wife and him have put up a GoFundMe asking for money. They are very close to their goal, but I'm sure more money would be useful. Chad has designed 
some incredible games like Dominant Species and Combat Commander and Urban Sprawl, and he is uh, one of my favorite designers. And it was very sad to hear his wife uh, gave a little post the, the other day. Let me just try to pull it up here. Uh, she said, doctors told us that other than having cancer, he's one of the healthiest people they've ever seen in a long time. That gives him a great base to start from in our fight. He's turned up one bad event, but he knows you always have to play it out. Some of the greatest victories come at unlikely seeming times. So we send our best to uh, Chad and his wife, Kai. And um, if you want to help, there is a GoFundMe. It is uh, GoFundMe.com backslash help Chad with chemo and um, throw him some money if you can. It sounds like their insurance issue is a major one. And we know what happens in America when your insurance lapses and something serious happens. So um, anything you can do to help them out would be, I'm sure, very appreciated. I know the name, but what does he design? Dominant Species. Oh, the Dominant Species. Yes, yeah. Right, right. And yes, Combat yes. Commander. He's huge in the war game world. And Ur- Urban Sprawl is also a great oh, you said, okay. Euro as well. Um, so anyway, that's the only news for the day. Uh, the uh, game's on the brain this week. I'm very, very, very excited for Pipeline to be delivered. That is the big new original game from Capstone Games. Uh, and uh, we kickstarted it. And I'm getting it on Tuesday, which means we might be able to get to the table Tuesday night. It's designed by Ryan, Car- Ryan Courtney and art by Ian O'Toole. It is a heavy uh, Euro game with a really fun sort of tile laying you're building a route of pipes and everybody has their own little world of pipes they're building but at the same time it's a very heavy economic euro game the early reviews are like game of the year game of the year game of the year everybody seems to be freaking out about it so not going to get too overhyped but i have read the rule book and watched a playthrough and it looks really solid i can't wait to get to the table um another game that i noticed this week that i got excited about is uh, a game called mega city oceana designed by jordan draper and michael fox it's coming out at gen con this year and then retail in october it is a dexterity game and i do not get excited about dexterity games but it is such a cool one where you are building you have like a it's really hard to describe you sort of have to look it up but you get these really strange shapes of plastic and you have to build buildings out of them and then you have to actually the dexterity part is sliding them on a on a tile across the table to join up with all the others and mm. there but there's like a there's sort of like a heavy euro mechanic of like what to build and how i mean i don't know i would just look at it it's one of the coolest looking things i've ever seen it's the only time i've seen a dexterity game that sort of had a ton of euro rules as well and looked i don't know it just looked cool it was one of those okay. games that i was like i need to try that so that comes out in gen con maybe i can get somebody to grab a copy for me otherwise october uh eight by eight challenge nothing this week uh we did not have a game night this week i had family in town i did get to play uh a uh my my copy of dopalt so clever which is twice as clever which is a sequel to um that's so clever which is a roll and write dice game that was a huge hit last year it came out from uh wolfgang warsh who designed the mind and quacks of quedlinburg but it is easily my favorite uh roll and write game and the sequel is much more complicated and much heavier which we know will make me more excited and i taught but i was still able to teach it to uh, my non-gamer family, and they enjoyed it. It is basically a roll-and-write game with a bunch of little mini-games on this piece of paper, and you're all sort of taking dice from the pool and, and using them. And, and uh, It's interesting. that This one seems like there's a very dominant strategy in it, but that's actually kind of fun because everybody has to go for the same thing, but then what becomes a strategy is what is your second and third sort of hmm. links that you're going to be getting points from. Um, it's, it's one of those like $15 games. Okay. Um, it can be put in your you know, bag and brought to anywhere. It's very small and easy. You don't really need much table space. Cool. Um, so yeah, uh, if you haven't, it's also an app. If you want to try it first for a couple of bucks on your phone, they already have it. And it's actually a really fun app. I, I play it a lot. Cool. 
That is pretty much everything for our week. Um, next week, we will come back with our normal uh, scheduled programming and reviews and news. We'll try If we have some time, we'll still try to do some uh, board game Somali at the end. But let us move into our deep dive on Southern Zagbatan with Jesse and Lumen. Yeah. Um, actually, so I want to bring this up. Um, so Because some people think that Catan is maybe a, a bad game because there's too much luck. We just talked a little bit about this. But uh, I'm, I'm curious what if you have any ideas of what could make it a better game, like if you take removing the luck, I think the luck is a good thing. It makes it accessible. No, I, th- I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with the game. I think, I think it is, uh, there are a lot of heavy board game gatekeepers and I, we all do our best in our group to not do that, but I'm sure we do. So, you know, I think it's one of those games that I don't know if you, if I played Catan for a really long time and then you showed me food chain magnet, I would never want to play Catan again, unless I was playing with people who don't want to play food chain magnet or something, you know, it's like, I don't, I, it, 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 it's not necessarily an improve. It feels like something like also like uh, people often ask me like, what is what I, I've played Catan. Where do I go? I always say Concordia, Concordia or, um, really? or, or castles of Burgundy. Those are my two. Well, because to me, it's the, it's inter- As a natural transition from Catan. I think it's, a, it, I think it, Burgundy it, it, actually is a good option. Burgundy is great. Yeah. I mean, because it, it still has dice rolling and stuff, but I was like, if you want to now see a version of a, of a, of a solid mm. Euro style game that has removed the luck from it, but still will have a theme that you're comfortable with mm. and col- you're collecting goods and putting them together to get things, you know, mm. which is Concordia, but you know, it also has a map element, which is exciting. So to me, that's like, here's a step up, but then Castles of Burgundy is, yeah. I, I think probably just sort of a improved version of it in terms of i don't know in terms of complexity and depth but but Catan has its place like i would never bring those games out with right. certain groups right yeah. and i think for me i get that question a lot too because i still play a lot of Catan tournaments where do you go from Catan? and i always answer them it depends on what you like most about Catan. if you like the socializing and trading aspect well then i'm not going to point you to agricola right but right. if you like the calculations i'm definitely pointing you to agricola sure um so if i if I sense that they're in there for more of the friendly aspect of Catan, I'm going to point them to like code names and like the rest of the great party euros Mm -hmm. that are out there. Yeah. I mean, I think people can like, I think there can be a, uh, a negative player experience with Catan. If, if like you're getting the robber put on you all the time, I think that Mm -hmm. that some people that can just like take that component. Yeah. That can happen. And they just go like, well, I hate this game. Like, you know, I've, I've I've seen it myself. I've seen certain players who just like really don't like that. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, to me, like Concordia and, and uh, Castle of Burgundy, there is no take that component to it. It's, it's right. really yeah, just very like little. Build, a, build a beautiful empire. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, uh, but I was, I was trying to think if you did remove the luck from Catan, like what would you do? Like would everyone have like a set of cards, like numbered cards, and you'd, you'd play them when you wanted to get that number to come up? That would be a horrible game. Well, it would Jesse, be a horrible did you know game. that um, Catan sells a stack of cards that mimic the rolls of the dice you can buy like a 36 right. card deck right. of but you're of still randomizing you're it's not like, still luck, you're not consciously but, choosing it's just well but it's die. loaded dice right, right? i mean because it, if you get all the ones out then there's no more ones in the deck right, right? Is it yeah. okay so i mean it it lowers the variance oh, i guess it doesn't right. remove the expected value or the luck part of it but right. there's no variance across or very little of it yeah i'm like if we're gonna roll some dice let's roll some dice right like I, let's dive in i don't have a problem with luck when it, it is within theme. And I think, we were, I was talking to Luma about this, is like, what do you think it means when you're rolling the dice? In terms of like the island of Catan, and I right. actually really like Jesse's like, metaphor. I, I think it's really just like the weather. Like, uh, it, yeah. right? Yeah. Is that how you interpret it too? Sure, like which, which fields are growing or which, uh, you know, your animals are producing. Like and- it's cloudy on the island everywhere except where we roll right now. Right, exactly. So it's like, I'm going to plan, you know, this area I know is going to probably pay off pretty well. I'm going to have a great harvest there. So I want to build a settlement there. And those are the sixes and the eights. 
right? And right. then, but hey, it doesn't always happen. That's the, that's life. Right. <laughs> that's the weather. Right. You know. So I think that's a that's a great mechanic for this game. I think it makes sense. You know. Yeah. Um, Do you ever build on a two? <laughs> or a 12. I mean, I think Jesse actually did in one of the last three games I've played with him. He took a 6 2 port as his second spot in a three player game and won the game. Right. Yeah. It, it totally depends on give what us, the Give rest people of them. just a quick, you know, one minute explanation of Catan for anybody out there who for some reason is going, I've never played Catan, which there may very well be. Uh, I, I can try to Go start. For it. So. Yeah. We, we are all taking the role of settlers on this undiscovered island. Um, we are trying to be the first to 10 points, and we will earn points generally by placing our initial settlements, upgrading those settlements to cities, and building roads to get to more settlements. And settlements and cities are worth one and two points respectively. There are some extra bonuses if you get to make a big army or a long road. And there are some really special bonuses you can get by buying cards that are mysteries when you buy them. The dev cards, yeah. Right. And so you just have to try to get to 10 points by doing a combination of those things. And it looks like you're settling this island. Got it. Yeah. A buddy of mine is writing the Settlers of Catan movie right now. Really? Yeah. I knew that was in the works, but yeah, um, that's a friend. I'm happy to see it it. still going. Interesting. Yeah, I'm very. I have no idea what he's doing with it. But yeah, what's the narrative of that? I don't know. I wonder. Maybe it's a Jumanji type thing where like they people enter the game. Maybe it's a meta element to it, or maybe it's like I don't know. It's all going to be about the robber. We'll have to pick his brain soon and take him out for a beer and ask him what it's about. Maybe he wants to come on and talk about it. Yeah. One of my tournament swag prizes was once the Settlers of Catan book. Like there was, it's actually a novel. It's it's (laughs) somewhere in my storage. I don't think I ever opened it, but it's like this three hundred page novel with a Catan theme. So. Maybe maybe that's what he's adapting. Yeah. Uh, Lumen, how do you feel about house rules? Are there uh, any house rules you play with? I don't prefer house rules anymore because I play enough tournaments to where I'll need to be good enough with the base rules. But, I mean, if you're not going to ever play a tournament, do whatever house rules you like. If you don't like attacking of Catan, the attacking in Catan very much, yes, absolutely house rule the friendly robber where you have to have a third point before you're stolen from. Mm. Like it, Ooh, that's probably the most common house rule. And I don't like it though. Well, right. yeah, I want to have. We play consistent. enough tournaments to where we we don't like it, but most like friendly groups are going to love the friendly robber rule. Yeah, yeah. I there's only one thing that I do every time when I randomize when I set up a board. I have my system of doing it. I don't do the A through whatever Q or whatever it is. Um, I, uh, you know, regular tiles, you know, turn them up, blah, 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 random ports. And, and I didn't realize this, but when, which, which way do you face the ports? You know, because mm-hmm. they go every other. There is actually a standard way There's, to do it. Right. Yeah. Which is, I learned from Lumen last time, <laughs> which is go ahead. Uh, so if you're placing a port, you have to space them one ocean hex right. apart. And then the port always faces down the row with more tiles. Okay. Right. Um, which I thought was interesting. But so, so the way I randomize my boards is um, I start in the center with the pips, yep. the pip number placement. Yeah, yeah. Start in the center, spiral outward, and uh, with these following rules. Uh, none of these numbers can be next to each other. Sixes and eights, mm-hmm. twos and twelves, mm-hmm. and any of the same number. Like, like, so five and five can't be next to each other. Okay. Are these the official rules, or are these I, just your I house rules? Don't, the official rules are that no sixes or eights could be next to each other. But don't they still use this, like... And Most times they will use the, eighth, the, the official spiral, which guarantees right. no sixes and eights next to each other, okay. as opposed right. to a random placement, but sometimes they will just create one that follows those rules. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so I, didn't, I didn't even know if they had that. This is sort of something I played mm-hmm. so many times, and I wanted to... I used to play, just take all the... The, the number of pips that came with all my expansions, put them together and pull out the first 12. 
Right. And I didn't care if it was plentiful or right. rare. I just liked that you could just have a different game every single time. Right. But to have a more balanced game, you know, I, I use this system. Sure. And as you're, as you're placing, uh, if, if a six is going to be next to another six or eight, you basically just move it up. Right. To the next available spot, and then you go back. Mm-hmm. And then if you get all the way to the end, you're a rare case where you're in the last spot and something won't work, you just kind of re- rewind and find the most, you know, the first spot to swap. And then, right. right. But that's, that's pretty much it. All right. So, people who play casually and want to start playing better. Yeah. What would you tell them? Well, well so we're going we're gonna to focus this talk on four player over three player. Right. Um, so all the tournaments use four player base games. Right, so that's right. what we're going to, are, the, are there the right major rules on. differences between four and three? There are no rules differences, but the strategy does get pretty different okay. because of some cases that happen a lot more in the four player game. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll say where the three player game differs. What yeah. it, what it okay. Matters. Got it. And then I guess slightly leaning towards tourney than just a one-off game, uh, tournament games as opposed to single games. Yeah. yeah. Well, but I mean, I'm, I assume tournament strategy will still will be the optimal strategy if you want to most often yes. beat your parents or your friends and next right. Christmas. Well, I, I can say in in tournaments, this is really Actually, only one major, major difference. Yeah. Like, I feel like there was a time when, like, uh, again, you have three rounds in the qualifier, and you're trying to get a certain amount of points, and you know it's going to be around twenty four is probably a good. Yeah, a win and 25 points will definitely win. So if you score 10 in one, eight in the second game, and seven in the third game, you're probably advancing. So there was one time, my first game, somebody was way ahead. And and they're they're probably going to win this game. And she's probably going to go out this next round. And she wants to trade. It's my turn. She wants to trade with me. I would normally never trade with the leader. Mm -hmm. But I know that if I trade her, she's going to give me the thing I need to give me one more point, even though I'm going to give her the win. Right. And so I did it. And mm-hmm. I got one more point, and I did. I, I sneaked. I snuck in to the to the right. To the so semis. Deci- decisions like that would never happen in a in a home game. Correct. Sure. Right. Yeah. You're always playing to win. Um, and then and then really, uh, you know, I feel like our talk is trying to turn beginner intermediates into more advanced intermediate players. advanced. Yeah. Great. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. Um, so uh, and then uh, and then there's certain like tournament rules and like etiquettes that I think should be at every. I, I play at every home game mm-hmm. of this. Uh, so, like, one of them is, like, when your turn is over, you pass the dice. That's how people know that's that That's the symbol, turn. yes. Right. You don't just sit there and kind of just wait for somebody to go. You that'll pass make the, the dice. That'll make all the rules lawyers very happy. Right. Uh, chess rules for placement. So when oh, you, if you let go, you, then your turn's then yeah. you're done. You don't put your settlement down and then pick it up later mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't wait for people's reactions or people like even if it's like you're not intending to do that just right. don't do that just you lift your that. hand yeah you're done though generally i would say if people ask to redo a turn that the play- next player hasn't gone yet i'll generally say that's fine unless somebody has reacted to it that obviously changes right things. are there official rules to that in the tournament like if you is there a I this i should know and i actually don't yeah, this I'm is the one thing jesse will bring up that i don't know okay. the chess <laughs> rule um and then how to judge cock dice do you, do you know about that? This is actually a tournament rule now. Right. So if a die is not fully Yeah, uh, if it's like flat, on the side of right. the board and it's kind of cocked and we don't know if it's legit or not, do right. you know what to do? I re-roll it. No, well, you put... Go ahead. So you stack the non-cocked die on top of the cocked one, and if, it, if the die stays there, then the roll is good. If the die rolls off, then you re-roll both dice. Yep. And you always have to re-roll both dice in a tournament if one or more dice fall off the table Wait, so or fall into a hole. you put a die on top of the cocked one? Yes. yes. You put the one that's clean on okay. top of the cocked one very very gently and see if it will stay. Okay. And if it does, then, then the roll's good. 
Okay. I'm going to yeah. have an explicit warning on this if we keep saying that word. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Slanted. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Yeah. So another one is um, you got to keep your cards visible and your resource cards separate from your dev cards. Yes. Um, there are no face-down cards in, in this game. Right? No, 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 no. You have face-down cards. All the cards you get are but You can't hide. Like, I was playing a game in the tournament, and somebody had their cards kind of down out of sight, and then somebody All cards chose must be me above to the take table. a card from. Yeah. And then the guy pulled his cards out, and they go, oh, I didn't know he had cards. Right. I was like, that's not cool. Yeah, that's not cool. Right. It is actually a rule. You have to have all your cards above the table. Got yeah. it. Um, and fanning your cards when a seven is rolled. What does that mean? So when the robber, oh, you know, like so somebody takes one randomly bust from in this game for, yeah. for newbies, if you have eight or more cards and a seven is rolled, well, you're going to lose half your cards rounded down. Got it. So when a seven's rolled, you lay your cards flat, you fan them out so people mm-hmm. can count them. Uh, and then the last one is, um, well, I think it's the last one, but this is one I always think is when you spend resources, spend them in front of you. Don't spend them on top of the piles. Lots of people right. like Into the bank, yeah. a pile of uh, sheep and, 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 oh, I'm trading four to one. It's like, did you really put down four? Did you put down Three. Right. right. Just do everything really clear. I even do this in the reverse, where if I produce, I will put all my produced resources in front of me before flipping them upside down into my hand. Yeah. Just okay. to like be super clear. I'm not cheating. Don't even think that I would cheat here. Yeah. Right. And I don't actually exchange. Sometimes if I go, oh, I'm going to trade these two uh, wheat for a sheep, I'll just put down the two wheat right. next to the Yeah, that's thing. Su- sufficient. Yeah. So people get it. Okay. Um, one other thing, Jesse, that you didn't have down, but it's pretty similar, is development cards. Uh, there's a rule where you cannot play the development card that you bought that current turn. So if you already have development cards in your hand and buy one new, you should put the new one separate from the old ones. Right. To, to be very point. clear that you're not going to play that one. You can't use it that turn. Mm-hmm. Right. And some people do that. They'll put it in their hand. Then you're like, which one so did you just get in the tournaments turn? now, it's now illegal to play any dev cards if you put a newly purchased one into the same pile as oh, the old ones. I like that rule. That's tough, but I like it. Um, all right. So should we go into the basic Catan strategies? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hold on, hold on. Basic, basic, Catan strategies. Don't do That's that. a jingle. Please. Don't do that. There That's you go. <laughs> now it's official. <laughs> um, all right. So was, I'd say there's probably five basic strategies. Mm-hmm. Um, this one guy, Makendo, Makito, I saw him sort of name them a certain okay. way. Okay. Yeah. It's so amazing if all five of these are just ways to throw dice. Underhand, <laughs> overhand, <laughs> put, put a little English on it. That'd be incredible. Well, actually, Matt, why don't you tell us what what are what are the strategies that you can that you know from this game? Um, you want sixes and eights because those come True. up more often than others. I actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with that. Okay, well, statistically, you because can't disagree with that. The, yeah, I can totally disagree <laughs> with that. Well, you can't disagree with the fact that sixes and eights come up more true. often. Right, it's true. But I wouldn't say it's a strategy to always go for sixes and eights because, well, it's a six and an eight, so the robber's more likely to go on that. Mm-hmm. So if uh, if all else is the same, and if you have a group of pips that are equaling 12, mm-hmm. I would rather have a 9 or a 5 than a 6 and an 8. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All, all things else equal, right? Yes. Um, but as if long you as think about this really mathematically and think of your expected value in your starting settlements, you also want to factor in how often the robber is going to be on that spot. Because if the robber is going to be blocking that spot from producing during any part of the game then the expected value of that spot is going to be a lot worse than what it's printed as. Right. My other, my other strategy would be never trade. Oh, it's terrible. Never trade ever. <laughs> Get your own stuff. 
Um, in that. spirit, that's not too far off. <laughs> um, but in practice, you definitely have okay, to we'll, get, some. we'll definitely get to that. No, yes. I'm, I'm, that. That part I'm very excited Me for. and Jesse had some actually serious disagreement over it yeah, uh, not, uh, earlier this week. So, And um, the third one is longest road always wins. Oh, God. He said the three Longest road things. does often win, though. Uh, I guess we can just say this now. If you take longest road early, that does not help you win. Right. right. So, okay. All right. Let's jump into it. So, um, when somebody calls it the producer strategy, this is the balanced resources. This is just optimizing, getting, covering all your bases, trying to get high value pips. That's the producer. Yeah. For each resource yeah. of the five. Yeah. What does that mean? You're, high value pips. So okay. if you have three pips or more on all five resources, you're going to have a decent game. So like Got a it. six and an eight, they have five pips because right. their odds of rolling are five out of 36. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Um, and, uh, so you're basically trying to be flush and everything and have lots of options available. That probably to you. helps you with trading as well. Cause you're always yeah. able to sure. help somebody and give them what they need. Yeah. And this is kind of a general thing that people kind of go for anyway, balanced, you right. know, don't just have sheep and brick. Right. But yeah. there's some exceptions. So, um, one is doing the, somebody calls it the queen of sheep. Uh, it could be the queen of any resource that is flush on the board. Uh, but they, you know, what, the sheep, sorry, what does that mean? Flush on the board, flush a lot of this resource. It's very readily available. Lots of high pips. If the four right. sheep spaces have to happen to be a five, a six, a nine and a 10, right. then it's going to be very right. plentiful. Got it. And then if you can get the port. Yes. Uh, if you get the key. specialized two for one, uh, two sheep for any one resource of your choice with the bank. Yeah. So, so the so ports make trading more efficient. Yeah. Right. So when you can't get that or, but you've got tons of sheep, uh, you do the sheep port strategy. Right. So, or the fill in the blank port strategy. Um, then there's the explorer strategy, which I think is, is, is a favorite for a lot of beginners is the wood brick, um, uh, expand really fast, make a lot of roads, uh, yep. settlement growth and longest road. And pe- that is one of the mistakes people make is they get that longest road and, and now they're the leader and they're a target. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, somebody's going to take the longest road from them. But you know what? That, they're not going to just take that. They're going to take it right back. And they're going to do that the whole game. Fight and that's what everybody road. else at the table wants them to do. Right. Right. Um, so there's that. Then there's the uh, commander strategy. is the city building. This is where you're focusing on the ore and the wheat. Um, and this is also assuming that you're going to be uh, rounding out your points by getting some dev cards. Um, Versus the developer strategy, which is a really heavy um, dev card. This is now ore, wheat, and sheep. You're getting victory points. You're getting largest army. Uh, and this is Lumen's favorite strategy. <laughs> yes. In tournament games, I will almost always default to a development card strategy. Right. So, and uh, why is that? So, yeah. Let's talk about why. Yeah, what so, strategies are better. So, Just tell me briefly what the development cards are. Sure. So familiar. the development card deck is a stack of 25 mystery cards that you can purchase throughout the game. Uh, there are 14 knights, and the knights let you do the effect of a robber where you move the robber to somebody else's spot and steal a card. So there's 14 of those out of 25. There are five victory points, which are hidden throughout the game, but they just count towards your 10. So you just bought a cheap point for the end of the game. Then there are two each of three uh, cards, and one of them is the most broken card in the game. It's the Monopoly <laughs> yeah. card. If you play the Monopoly development card, you get all of a certain resource that people have in their hands. So if a big 
wheat number was just rolled, you can play your Monopoly and get, I don't know, 10 plus wheat. That's crazy. From everybody By else. the way, a big sort of, well, maybe we'll talk about this at some point, but the, well, the, the, an etiquette thing is like, uh, let's say you want a lot of wheat and you've got some wheat in your hand and, um, and then you go, hey, I'll trade you, uh, you give me some ore and I'll give you my wheat. Oh, mm-hmm. sweet. And then I play the Monopoly wheat. Right. You can <laughs> just take, all, I take that all wheat back. back. That's bad etiquette. That is a it, bad, it's bad etiquette. etiquette. It's totally legal. Yeah. But, but that's a great etiquette. move. Yes. Yeah. It burns well, bridges for later. Yeah. But if there is no later, you're going to get you're going to get the robber on you a lot okay. yeah. for I games. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Bad table image. Yeah. So that's the Monopoly development card. The other two types of development cards. There's the Year of Plenty, which gives you two resources from the bank of your choice. So if you don't produce two types of resources, that's perfect for you. Yeah. Situational. Probably the weakest. Of probably the, bunch. the weakest, um, and most beginning players will probably assume the knight is the weakest. Um, but a knight is great when used correctly. We'll talk about leveraging your development cards later. Um, and then the last type of development card is the road building card, where you get two free roads. And one simple reason why the development card strategy is better than an expansion strategy is that if you focus on the sheep, wheat, and ore for your development cards, you might draw a road building and have those wood and brick production exactly when you need them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It does, it does make up for a lot of the other things that you may not have. Although I, I also think that um, some people make a mistake of overvaluing the dev card uh, strategy. And I, and I know I've seen, I've seen you, I, I, I'll look at a board when I'm playing with Lumen and I kind of go, all right, that's Lumen's spot. <laughs> is there a limit to the amount of dev cards you can have? Uh, nope. There is no limit to the amount in your hand, but there is a rule that you can only play one per turn. Um, victory points are never played, so if you have right. three victory points, you can show them all in your last turn. Um, right. But you can only play one per turn, so if you stash five or six development cards, which I do do, um, you have to like wait six turns before you can play them all. Right? Yeah, sure. But it's great. You look like you're not doing as well as you are. Right, you're you know? not a target. Um, yeah, and then you got all these tricks up your sleeve. People are not putting the robber on you as much because mm-hmm. they think you have a knight and you're going to move it. There's lots right. of ways. There's that. Right. And, I mean, flat out, you're not producing as much on the board because you're buying development cards instead of settlements and cities, so the robber is less effective on you. Yeah. Sure. Yep. Um, but if you're going for that strategy and a lot of other people are going for that strategy... You better get tempo or you're screwed. Yes, and tempo just means turn advantage. So if you're fighting for the largest army with someone, you always want to have at least as many knights played as that person and more in your hand in case they try to fight you for it. You better be ahead so of that's them. what Jesse means by tempo. Got yeah. it. Um, and yeah, and then yeah, you're going to be fighting for the largest army back and forth. It's going to be the same thing with the longest road situation if you're, if, if you're not the only one going for that strategy. Right. Um, so, um, so, so let's talk about placement. It's like, okay, the, we just set up the board. We're about to play. Now, most of the time, uh, we, we'll, I'll do this. I don't know if you do this. I take a picture of the board, and I go sit in a corner, and I analyze it. <laughs> wow, you're really start. living up to your name. <laughs> the analyzer. Um, and a lot of people will sit there at the board and talk about, ooh, this looks plentiful. And oh, wow, 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 what about going over here? And I was like, what are they doing? Right. That and part I don't understand. Yeah. I, uh, I sit at the board with everybody else, but I'm just silently analyzing everything in my head. I'm not... Why are you uh, going away, Jesse? Because you, you don't want to... You I just want, want to think. I, I don't need Maybe to Maybe he wants everyone. to talk too and doesn't want to share. Yeah, his, exactly. He, he like, has I don't, to talk I don't want to share <laughs> what I'm seeing about the board. But so, so Lumen, what, do you, what is your process? How do you analyze the board and where you're going to place so one thing I always look for to start off is how much of each resource will be 
produced during the game. So is there a lot of ore or a lot of brick this game? Is there only like five total pips on brick? And what will that do to the game? Are the ore spots an eight and eight and a two? So either so in that case, there's going to be either a lot of ore in the game if eights are rolled a lot, or almost no ore in the game if eights aren't rolled. So I want to be prepared for both situations. Um, so that's basically the story of the game's economy is what I want to build into my head when I think about my first placements. Good way to put it. Um, and so then I look for a relatively high emphasis on the number of pips and my probability. Um, I want to, as I said earlier, factor in where I think the robber is going to be throughout the game and adjust my starting pip ideas for that. Um, in my starting settlements in a four-player game, I almost always build my roads outside to the sea because I don't want to be fighting for an inside a spot inside the board. And a four-player game will get a lot more crowded than a three-player game if you are less familiar with the four. That might surprise you. So it's always safest to build your roads out to where nobody else is. And then if I'm placing in a, from an early position on a relatively strong board, I want to place my settlements uh, annoyingly so that mm-hmm. people have less good spots to choose from when it's their turn. Right. Um, so there's the rule where you can only put a settlement two spots away from another one. So if there is like a series of three potential spots, I'm going to take the middle one. Turn order seems really important in terms of at least like initial placement. How is turn order decided in a tournament game? Uh, it's yeah. randomly assigned. Yeah. Okay. Um, like you just roll dice? Yeah. Uh, usually the organizers do a random function into their computer and tell you. Yeah, what, what they do is they give this uh, card, uh, letter is what table you're at, and then one through four is you, you get your, your A1, you're at table A, and you are first player. Right, right. strategic on, that's how they do it. Yeah. Remind me what compensates, like, fourth position? Yeah, so if you're uh, fourth out of four people, you get your second settlement spot first. So, so it goes... So you snake. You yeah, snake starts with player yeah. one, and they place one settlement in a road, right. and then player two, player three, player four goes twice, right. and then you go backwards. Right, so, so first gets first and last. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so yeah, we'll get to that in a second, like what the different strategies so you re- are. And, and when you see the boards that you know your position, so you can really plan for, you know what the first person is going to take probably yeah. usually, and then you can figure out from there yeah. what now, the rest of the board will look like. There's certain... I have a checklist in my mind of what I'm looking for before I even know what turn order I am. Um, which is some of it similar to Lumens. Um, so the first thing I'm looking for is what resources are rare. And, like, you know, if, it, if it's like, oh, there's, like, twos and twelves on ore, then, or the, and there's, like, one eight, then I'm going to maybe try and get that resource. You know, I'm mm-hmm. going to try and put my settlement there and try and block, like, maybe it's sharing a desert. I want to put mine in the, in the, on the vertices that's, like, most opposite, you know, so there's no other clean spots. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Okay. Um, so what resources are rare and then what resources are plentiful. Um, so you can know that you may not need to be on as much of that resource because it'll be readily traded or you can go for the queen of that resource. That's right. Um, uh, so that was the next thing is, are there any ports that match these, uh, plentiful resources for that strategy? And then, uh, what strategies are available based on this setup? So what we just talked about, um, and then, uh, so the player turn order, um, so we, we, we kind of talked about this the other day and we were, we were starting with player four. Um, right. So, so, so you get that double move. The main thing, it really depends from game to game. Sometimes you want to be the first player. Yeah. I was going to ask, is it really balanced or, or if you could always choose a position, would you always choose the same position? No, it totally depends. It totally depends. Sometimes I love being the fourth player because sure. I love that double move. I love knowing exactly what I'm going to get. Um, but like in the uh, semis, 
I was fourth player and there was three good spots. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had a really, really tough time. I would have to get really lucky to win that game Mm. and it just didn't happen. In short term, it can happen. Right. I think in general, I have a slight preference for third. Um, and it's because you get to control a bit of what player four does. Yeah. And then you get a slightly advantage turn over player four. Sure. So. Yeah. And then as you're sort of um, snaking back through the turn order, um, like if you're, if you're player three and you're thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to place my road in a certain direction, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't just say I'm going to place it towards the sea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to count how many spots... Are left sure and, and analyze what strategy is this guy going for is he gonna does he need this resource this area to, to round out his strategy if it's lumen he's probably gonna be ore and wheat and sheep so so i know maybe not to point my road in that direction because he's probably gonna go there i'm gonna go in the other direction i like how somebody uh said it they said um you place your roads toward the n plus one best position where n equals the number of settlements left to be placed okay so that you know that like that right. one's probably going to be available, right? Um, yeah. So so that's the main thing I think to think about when you're um, you're placing. Um, is there anything else with like the first? I feel like with first player, you just kind of have to. You're going to pick the best spot. You kind of have to after all the, all the other analysis, and you just kind of hope for the best. What <laughs> I like to look at from first position is where are those bad spots that I'm likely to get eighth, and can I make sure that I have a chance at getting resource diversity? Um, so I'm not going to pick a spot first that has three spots of the same resource, even if the pips are by far the best, even if it involves a queen of resource strategy. I'm probably not going to pick it first. I'm going to really aim for a three types of resources placement with good pips if I'm first player. Yeah. So like if you know so that's that- how, how important diversity is over specialization to me yes mm-hmm. um there is the caveat that if you can get a good trading port then you don't need the diversity in the spot itself but through an extra amount of this certain resource right so if it was close to a, an advantageous port for all of those uh mm-hmm. if you're like for one of those or a three to places. one general yeah. port then yeah. yes right, right, right. And, and and if you're going to be competing with somebody for a spot like let's say your roads are touching and it's like whoever's going to get the first thing you got to look at what turn order are you going to be in? Mm-hmm. And is your second placement going to be on a brick and wood so that you're going to start with those resources and be and, able to build ahead of them? Right. Yeah. Cause a lot how of people, important is connecting your two first starting positions? You never need to, from the start, the, the two roads that you get in addition to your settlements should aim at expansion spots instead of connecting. Okay. Yeah. Even if you're going for longest road, eventually, eventually right. it's, a, it's not a, it's not a thing you consider. Beginners do. Right, yeah. That's what I yeah, always yeah. think like, well, I want to make sure these eventually get to each other or else I'm playing inefficiently, but that's not actually an important strategy. Um, especially if you're playing a development card or city strategy, it's unlikely that you'll need to worry about connecting your spots. Okay. Right. Um, so, so, yeah, when you're thinking about your placement, you're looking, you have to look at your opponents and go, what strategies are they going for? What resources, what specific resources do they, do they need to make that strategy work? Um, and, and where are the roads facing? And can I block them from reaching that key settlement spot? Because lots of times in people's strategies, it's like, all right, well, they're going for the sheep port strategy. So they're going to go here and their road is facing towards that port. So I, got, I, I can't let them get there. As soon as they get there, they could completely blow up. So you got to be really careful with that. So sometimes you want to just block them. Um, or with trading, 
don't trade them the thing they need to get that first settlement. You got to hold out for that. Yeah, them. one of our one of our tips for getting better at Catan, I, we might as well start with this one, yeah. is being judicious in your trades. And as Jesse says, if someone is close to getting a huge uh, swing and advantage, like if they're queen of sheep and you're going to trade them the resource they need to get the sheep port settlement yeah. placed, that's probably not a good idea. Yeah. Uh, no matter how good the trade is for you at the time. Can't you basically track what everybody has in their hand? I mean, yeah, you can. Sure. Accounting totally. in this game is pretty hard, though. Um, I consider myself very good with mental accounting after all the Agricola I've played. Um, and for me, it is impossible to track every single card. If I have a Monopoly card in hand, I'm going to do a much better, a mo- much more focused effort on tracking what people have. Is it illegal to write down? What everybody's getting? I Could, think, couldn't you just have perfect information if you wanted I to? I think it is legal to write down the roles if you announce that you're going to do it at the start of the game, but that is probably not a good idea. It yeah. makes you a target Got if it. you're going right. to track things that closely. Right, right. right. Um, oh, what was I going to say about that? Uh, you, you also don't know what people stole if there's a right. robber situation. You don't know exactly That's which fair. resource. That's fair. So I, right. I don't really worry about too much unless you need to worry about it. All right. So I'm sorry. Know. Back to judicious trading. Uh, well, no, we'll get that in a second. So actually, uh, there's little little nuances, I feel like, with, um, uh, like, for instance, okay, let's say you've placed on a nine, okay, and you've you placed your first settlement on a nine uh, for a certain resource. Now, you're going to place your second settlement, and you have a choice. You need this resource. You can either place that on a nine, or that same resource is also on a five. Mm-hmm. So would you rather have... Between those two, would you rather diversify or would you rather be focused on one number? Would you want to have a nine and nine or a nine and five? I would imagine you'd rather have, well, I guess it depends on what the resources are that you're getting. I think that's the right answer is it depends. So if the resource is synergistic with the one that you already have, if it's a nine ore, then you're going to want a nine wheat, but you're not going to want a nine wood. Right. Because the wheat will always pair with the ore for something right. you're building, but the wood never pairs with ore. So I've heard a lot of people say that you got to make sure you diversify and have a whole bunch of different numbers. And I've been, I've been like, I don't think so. I think, and as we talked about this a bunch, and as if you get the ore and a wheat, I would say I would love to have that on a nine and nine. Or a sure. brick and a wood, I'd love to have that on a nine and nine. Some people say like, oh, you want to have, you know, when a five is rolled, you know, you never know what's going to come up, but you always want to have a resource in your hand. I was like, I don't know. I don't know what you do. I think it'd be great to spend all your resources, and now you're not a target for the robber anymore. Sure. There's also I'd- a school of thought where you want to do something on every turn. So in that sense, all else equal, and that doesn't cover like the same type of resource thing. Um, all else equal, I think I would like to have the five instead of the nine so that I have something in my hand to do that more mitigates the luck factor of the dice. I'm also assuming that you have a spread of numbers yes. and you're not focusing all everything on, on the nines, but like, yeah. but to have certain key resources that are, that are, that go together, I want those to be the same, same number if I can control that. Mm-hmm. And if they're different, if they don't go together, I want them to be different yes. specifically. That definitely makes sense. Um, and then another uh, thing that uh, Hamish brought up, which I thought was interesting. Uh, if you have a choice between placing your settlement on like say a, a six and there's two other people there already, or you can go to a different six, what, what would you rather do if all else is a equal? A six where only you would be, right? So you think? Um, no, that, I'm just explaining that's the situation. Where only you would be, right, right. Would yeah. you want to have it to yourself, or would you want to share it? Well, you're blocking somebody else from going there if you're, if you're there, so 
potentially that's but let's it. say okay yeah it's better to deny somebody and give something to yourself than just give something to yourself uh well yeah that think, is definitely a factor you want to consider yeah, yeah. i agree um but so what hamish pointed out which is which is interesting is is when you when you share it with a bunch of people you're obviously the robber's not going to sit there it seems mm. like one person is going to place it there because it's going to affect a lot of people but Everyone else is going to be anxious to move it. No one's ever going to place it there. Yeah. So sharing with a lot of people person. is actually a good thing. It can be. Though I think that doesn't apply to like a five wood spot, a five of wood. I don't care if the robber's on my five of wood all game just because wood doesn't really affect my strategy much. So I think it you also... Might have de- a, you might have a port. It might. Yeah. But in general, I would say it, if it was a shared wheat or ore spot, I would agree with the sentiment that yeah. you want that spot clear. Right. Though I think wooden clay specifically, it matters less if it's blocked during the game. Right. Um, all right. So mid-game strategy. Um, uh, so placing the robber. This is a this is a thing that this is what newbie players say all the time when they're placing the robber. Okay, how many cards do you have? Right. That is their number one thing, and it's like you need to look at one who is in the lead. Who has the most points right now? Right. Two, who has the most point potential? Like who, if they, you know, they if may be behind fall points. Right, right. Who is going to win? Somebody has that port and they've got a bunch of resources. Now just a couple of dice rolls and they already got a city. The only imperfect information in victory points is dev cards, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, you, yeah. Can, you, you can, don't know the resources necessarily. Oh, unless you're keeping track. Right. Okay. Um, but yes, you don't, you have no idea what um, dev cards people did. Um, Unless you have all of them. Right. (laughs) Yeah, just to explain Jesse's point a bit more, the robber is was added to Catan to help everyone screw over the leader at the time and give everyone a fighting chance for the game. So if you're not doing your part in attacking the leader with the robber, then you are letting the leader continue boosting their lead. Sure. Right. Right. So is 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 it always who's doing best? I'd say generally yes. Who's in the lead? Who's got the most potential? Then what if you happen to share a lot of spots with the leader? Well, then you yeah, that, yeah. you're LC. You don't want to place it on yourself. If you and sometimes you do place it on yourself because you know you don't need that resource and, and they does. super do. Right. Um, but another thing to consider is uh, who who has a resource that you need, right? So that's yes. going to weigh in, right? You, I'll, I'll you, never blame someone for stealing if they're hunting for a specific resource and have a good chance of getting it instead of attacking the leader. Right. You, is it fair to use it as leverage in bartering? Yes, but it's non-binding. Right. But yeah. you can say, like, uh, trade me this and I won't put it there. Totally. That's fine. There's a lot as of long as everyone understands and... it's not binding, they yeah. can still put it there. Totally. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then the other thing to consider is who might you be competing with for an expansion spot? So if somebody's racing to get that settlement there or that wood and race, you know, the road, and then you need it's to like, slow them down. yeah, right. slow them down. Um, and, uh, and, and then, sometimes it's just cause it's your dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my brother. My You're brother right. just pick on me. Um, no, and I actually, I would play with this with, uh, you know, other couples and things and they would always be like, God, Jesse always wins. And like, we, we just got to put it on Jesse. All the well, time. Yeah. It's like, I'm in last place. Like, yeah. you know, 
And then it's like, I'm, I'm so out of this. Like, how could you possibly? Well, this put is it where metagaming me? comes in, right? And this right. is yeah. where Snivellers win. <laughs> Sniveller being the uh, the cosmic encounter character who gets whatever he wants when he whines for it. Right. <laughs> I think we're going to talk about Snivellers do very we, well. We will definitely Snivellers. cover that. Oh, right. Don't put it on me. You always put it on me, and then you're just like, yes. There's there's always an art to it. Um, I've tried that before as like an overall strategy. Um, when I was still figuring out <laughs> Sniveller how to strat. Win. Yeah. Um, I have played games purposely unhappy before. Um, it can affect it, people. It can, it, it can it affect. It's somewhat effective, but it's really not fun for anyone. No, no, it's. it's and I mean, we play poor, these games for poor, fun, even yeah. at a competitive level. So it's poor form, but you know, if, if winning is all that matters at a tournament, then that's what we should. Okay, I mean, so, poker players do it all the time, where they'll yeah. they'll have they'll they'll have a very obnoxious player uh, personality in order to get people to play emotionally. Right. right. I mean, that is a that yeah. is a totally valid poker strategy. Right. Yeah. It is psychological warfare. Yeah. Um, uh, and you know, <laughs> I have, uh, some guidelines on trading and me and me and Lumen, we got into it the other night because, <laughs> and we were just talking about, um, that the whining thing and like, Oh, is it, what's the etiquette on that? How do you feel about people pouting? We talked about that. And then literally in the next game, we had a situation where, uh, Lumen wanted to make a trade. So, so we played three player in this game mm-hmm. and, uh, we also invited our friend Hamish, who's a really good player. And uh, which to me is like, that's when the game is fun. I, playing with noobs, yeah. like, it can just be, or even just intermediate people sometimes are just, I, it's just not the same. When everybody knows what the main skills of Katana are, it does become a much deeper game in yeah. complexity than if you're playing with some newbies. Yeah, so, sure. yeah. so I'm sitting there and I've got, this is important, Lumen's on my left and Hamish is on my right. Uh, it's even more important in a four player game. So Lumen's on my left, and he wants to make a trade with me. And I'm like, eh, I don't know. Um, I don't think so. And he's like, what, why not? It's like, it goes around again, and he asks the same thing. And I was like, no, nah, I'm still not feeling it. But if you want to trade me on my turn, then, and, and, and he didn't understand. Like, he's like, why? And then he, then he got mad. <laughs> well, I thought you weren't explaining your thought process very clearly. I didn't need to explain my thought process. Well, you don't need to, <laughs> but it makes me mad, right? So I, I was offering I was offering you the ability to build a city. What I did not understand from your explanation was that you were going to you would prefer to wait out the orbits because you were somewhat likely to produce what I was offering to you by yourself. What are orbits? Uh, sorry, a rotation around. around the board. Got it. Okay. Uh, so I was on his left, so it's more time before it's Jesse's role. Right. Um, so L- that me, was part of the explanation. Yeah. There, there the, were more details. Let me that get in the guidelines, and then because I'm going to get right to that. So 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 ultimately, trading is good. Like the only people not benefiting from a trade are the people not involved in the trade, mm-hmm. but people make a lot of mistakes in, in trading. So playing with Barack, who ended up winning this last tournament two years ago, somebody was um, uh, not really paying attention to the points. The newbie made it to the semis and uh, he, uh, they were about to make a trade with him. And I go, Oh, wait, wait, wait. I just want you to realize that um, he is really close to winning. He can get longest road. You don't know how many points are under there and blah, 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 blah. Right. You got to be really careful with trading with him. Right. And she heard what I said. And then she made a trade with him. And I was like, well, what are you doing? Right. And then he looked at me and he flips over his cards and he's like, sorry, I won. Right. And she's like, oh, I didn't realize. So it was I like go, king I, just making, told, yeah. I just told you that. No, I, she wasn't. It was no, unintentional no, yeah, king making. Right. Yeah. So the next year, 
on that semis with with uh, with Brock again. And uh, there's this girl, and she makes this trade with him. And I was like, oh, whoa, whoa, okay, okay. So that happened. So just be careful. I have a little button on this because last year he he won because somebody handed him the game in, in a trade. So just be careful. Goes around, back to her. He wants to make a trade, and. She makes a trade with him, and he flips over his cards. I won. And I was like, what are you doing? I just told you. <laughs> and she's like, I didn't realize. And it's, so people make these silly mistakes. Maybe he's fixing it. I, I did. I did wonder for a Maybe second. Maybe those are all his friends, and he's just metagaming harder. After knowing everybody I, a little more, I don't think that's the case. But, um, so, so when you're going to make a trade with somebody, you've got to ask yourself, what is my opponent getting from this yep. trade? don't give him a city if you're not getting something comparable. Right. If you're just like, oh, I could use this resource because I want to eventually get a settlement. So yeah, I'll take your sheep and I'll give you this ore. Don't. (laughs) It is so drastic to give him that city that early. I think there are exceptions. So if they're offering two of a certain thing that you don't produce, well, and it's early game. Getting closer. Yeah. I mean, dangerous. To me, that's enough. So we obviously have different guidelines, and you'll disagree, but we can agree to disagree here. But the, We're but here's both the good thing. players. Here's the thing. If you know that somebody's going to make a stupid trade and give somebody a city that's going to put them on the track. Well, you have to game, table talk them out of it. You have to table talk them out of it. But if you know another player's going to make that trade, well, maybe you want to make the trade. Mm-hmm. So you got to like snake in there. step in. Yeah. yeah. That's, it's, and it's a, that, that is, there's a lot of politics. There's a lot of, a lot of that, which is make, what makes the game. Trading is probably my weakest I understand the trading, but I don't do it well enough. I'm used to people embargoing me. They don't want to trade with me because they are, he's somehow going to pull out a win. And so I just haven't really. So Jesse, maybe choose a different explanation when you decline trades, because I think it makes nope. you look up unpopular when you <laughs> don't explain why you're not trading. I, well, people don't make trades all the time. Sure. For whatever reason. For me, I prefer to explain it every time I decline. Like I will, this resource isn't something that I need right now is what I usually say because right. it's true. Um, often I'll say I don't have any at the expense of giving away information, even though that information is probably obvious enough. Um, and then I'll also say stuff like, uh, you know, I make enough of that if they're offering me something I don't have, but I think I'll make it later. Yeah. Or I'll say, no, that gives you a city that would put you at a good position. Or I'll say, you know, you're in the lead right now. I'd prefer not to trade with you. So just, are you always, I mean, obviously you're always trying to make deals that are better for you, but if if everybody is at an equal level of play, shouldn't all trades be equal? I mean, shouldn't all trades like be? I mean, I, I, I guess there's a certain amount you of never know what people are going for. Right. Like you, I could use a dev card. I have cards lined up. I need I need a sheep to get a dev card, um, and but I may be giving him a city. I don't know. Like I'm not sure if I'm going to do it. Right. Or not. It really depends. It really. I, I'm also looking at. Okay, they're going to put a city here. What are they going to get out of that? Is that really? Is that the thing that's going to open up their strategy? Mm-hmm. They're going for this strategy, and once they get that, it's it, it's potentially game over. The floodgates will open. That's yeah, right. Because yeah. everyone kind of has that. If they're playing right, they have that floodgate moment. Right. Mm-hmm. That they're building towards. Right. I see. Um, and I don't want them to get there. Um, so so the other thing is when you're trading with somebody, make sure you're not competing for the same spot. Again, if you're expanding in the same direction as somebody and, and then you give them the settlement thing they need for a settlement and right. they just beat you to it. Right. Like it's, it baffles me. So don't trade with people you're directly competing with. Yes. For, yeah. for about what they need in order to get that. Um, right. uh, and again, avoid giving uh, opponents key positions too early. Sometimes just early trading 
is just like it's dangerous because now they've got that settlement of that city and and it's just too early and you don't have anything yet and now right. they're just boom over time that is right. going to pay off so well for them so hold off yeah one thing that's connected to what you've said here is that I, I just forgot to mention it earlier. New players will often accept trades that are legal for them, even though it doesn't help them very much. Yeah. So make sure it's benefiting you a good amount before yes. you accept. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And for God's sake, count the points. Count the yes. hard points on the board and imagine that all the unplayed dev right. cards make it the worst case are scenario. victory points. Yeah. Well, or worst case scenario. I like Matt's version better because for me, if they have a monopoly, I count that as a two point play sometimes yep. just because the swing of resources you get can be worth upwards of two points and 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 can they uh with a brick and a wood snake the longest road right just a few resources I've, i mean i've gotten five points in a turn before yeah i mean the classic thing that me and my friend group created was the five point winning turn yeah like yeah i won it on a five point turn the other day yep. you know totally um and then also ask yourself can my opponent get this resource from the board or do they rely on trading or stealing for it? Mm-hmm. Right. So if they just don't produce ore, don't just you know make them make them pay a little more for it. Right. Well, that's the power of diversifying, right? Yeah. Um, and okay. So then, and the other thing is, try to trade on your own turn. Is what I is what I think, and 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 here's why. So. Okay. So I'm more likely to trade with the person on my right if it's not my turn. Mm-hmm. So let's say. I make a fair and equal trade with the guy on my left. Mm-hmm. Let's say we both get a city. Well, he gets to cash in his city right now. Yeah. And there's a bunch of things that can happen before the dice. Yeah, the robber being turn. the most, right. you, know, you could lose everything you just got. So, yeah, if you, uh, so, so one of them is busting with eight or more cards. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the robber. Somebody could steal the card that you just got. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is what if you just produce a resource already? One quick question. In high-level play, how often do you allow yourself to be at risk of, getting, of having more than eight cards? Like, how often are, do you, do you, is that something that you just never even allow to happen? Yeah, I do. I, I'll take risks because sometimes it's like, if, I'm try, if I must get this city yeah. and I, it's, it's kind of hard to get the ore, I'm, I may just, I'm gonna, if I get hit by the robber, I'm going to keep the ore and I'm going to dump everything else. Mm-hmm. And if I keep spending it, like, uh, sometimes I don't want to go for dev cards. I, I need the city right now. Yeah. Um, then I'm gonna, I may hold on to it because right. I don't want to just keep getting rid of that hard resource that's hard to get. It is a calculated risk. So if you end a turn with eight or more cards, that might not be good in a four-player game. There's actually a neat thing with the math that in a three-player game, there is less than a 50% chance a seven is rolled within three turns. But in a four-player game, there's more than a 50% chance wow. that a seven is rolled in four turns. So that's a neat little like thing, difference between three no, and four-player games. I mean, that's everything. Yeah. Right. So... In a four-player game, I will stay, still take calculated risks. Like, if I do need to build a city, I'm going to hang on to these three wood that I can't cash in because I'm just going to chuck them anyway. It yeah. doesn't really affect me. Because you pick what you lose. It's not, yes. it's not pulled right. from your yeah. hand, right? Right. So there, there's expected value, and then there's expected utility, which is what you really need to care about, um, is how useful are these extra four cards in my hand that I would lose on a seven. Like, if it's not a big deal, then... You know, right? I'll risk it. Got it. Um, I guess the last thing there is uh, in, uh, when we're going from mid game to 
end game is like knowing when to call a trade embargo yes on somebody because that just happens at some point you just cannot trade with the leader sure anymore and, yeah. and we'll get to a point where like we're all like eight or nine points and or who knows and just nobody's trading anymore. right so one of my general rules that i definitely followed very strictly up to a point in time was i don't trade with anyone once they get to seven points whether that's seven direct points on the board or likely from their development cards i'm just not going to trade with them at that point it's too close to winning. There are so many ways you can end up like have a three point turn that it's just super unwise to trade with them. Right. Right. Um, and especially in the situation Jesse describes where if everybody's above seven, like there's no point in trading. It's extreme, extreme risk. Right. Yeah. But yeah, in this one situation, Lumen needed to get, I didn't, I, I'm, I'm not sure if you were trying to get a city or a settlement. Do you remember what you were going for when I, I didn't make the trade with you? I think you would have actually given me a city. Yes, I was giving you the opportunity to build the city on your turn so I could get a settlement I needed for a queen of strategy, I think is what it was. Right, and so I know that you're going for the strategy, and so I don't want you to have that. So that's one factor, as I listed in my my reasons. It wasn't an especially strong queen strategy, though. It was like a decent one. But it was also your only chance, I think, of winning. You needed that. Absolutely. And so that's why I didn't want to give it to you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's cutthroat, but it's like how you play. You know, I don't want you... That's That's like... That may be the only thing you have to get. I in the still game. think I was offering you an extreme amount of value at the time. But so, I, for all but, the listeners, we're arguing, we're uh, continuing our argument over yeah. this trade that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. so that's good. Uh, but I could totally get the resource on a on a simple roll. I could I could have traded for the resource. I didn't really need it that bad. Right. So for me, it was it was kind of like meh. From your explanation throughout the game during the game, though, your only thing you said to me was pretty much, "You're on my left. I'm not going to trade with you right now." Um, well, Hamish got it. Yeah, but. But he understood. So I never connected the being on the left with all the other factors. I know all the other factors, but I never connected it with it is usually the person on your left, because I think there's always exceptions to rules. So, always. but, but you know, but if guideline. I was offering you such a good trade, it wasn't that good of a trade. I get the resource. I, I had multiple numbers of it. I could trade in for it. It was certainty, though, um, and. If you weren't willing to accept that kind of trade on my turn, then I was just assuming you weren't going to trade with me all game because I was on your left. So I took that pretty badly because I found that illogical in, as but stated was, by me. Right. And <laughs> then I just embargoed you for the rest of the game right, right. and was extremely unfun game. And so I thought that you were doing the, what we were talking about, this sort of psychological warfare. I thought you were doing this whining strategy, although we had just <laughs> talked about it. Because like he really got pouty and he kind of like, you know. Well, I did because I thought you were doing illogical things. Well, but it's funny because I was like, well, you just trade with me on my turn. If, it, if all's the same and literally you're going to go right after me so you don't have to risk all these things and just trade on my turn. You're like, no, I don't want to. And I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Why well, would you not be able to will- trade on my turn if you're going to go right after? Because then our trade relationship is only an advantage for you in terms of whose turn it is. And I didn't think that what was do you fair. Mean? That's actually the exact because- opposite of what I'm saying is because it, I, I'm more willing to trade with hamish because he's on my right so i'm putting you in that position yes you but, should be more willing to trade with me because there's less risk for you i'm saying trading with you on, on my left is more risky for me so you, it, i hope you understand that and so that's why i'm saying if you trade with me on my turn it'll be less risky for you oh i understand that i'm just saying if the breaking point for trading with the person on your left wasn't what i was offering then i think your breaking point is too high your threshold is too high He's saying he was taking that into consideration and was giving you a good enough trade to make up for that. Right. He wasn't, though. Well, <laughs> well, Hamish thought I was for that one. Not the one on the turn before, but for the, the one that would give you a city for sure. 
he agreed that that was above the threshold. Well, yeah. he didn't see what I disagree. had in my hand. We can yeah. disagree. Yeah, that's fine. But, but that's part of the, that's you know, where we are. I respect Lumen a lot. And I actually, I, I, I love these opportunities to disagree with him sure. because we are on the same page about so many things. And I like to expand. Well, at the end of the day, you're rolling dice. There's no strategy anyway. Oh, so, so <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, but yeah, so, so there's that. The other thing about like turn order is, uh, placing the robber. Uh, you, if all else is equal, you want to place it on the guy on your right or girl. The guy or girl on your right, because it'll probably, uh, it'll probably stay there longer. It's more likely to stay longer, yes. Right. Got it. So, um, little things like that. Um, anything else politicking? Casting shade? Yeah. Um, we'll get into this in our, so in our top ten, I think. But um, in general, especially as we go to the end of the game, you really have to make sure everyone is aware of everyone's path to victory. Yeah. Um, I like to do this early on, where I just suggest to the people that might not get it immediately like when they're if they're not as careful with trades i'm just gonna throw out ideas of what that person could do with that extra resource just to give them the idea that hey we need to be careful of what everybody's up to yeah so by the end of the game it makes more sense if i suggest that someone decline a trade because it looks too strong for someone um but it's a matter of like getting people on board and being likable enough so people listen to you in my experience got it right and one thing i don't think we talked about before was the reason why certain strategies are better than others like mm-hmm. the dev strategy uh the, you know i'm sorry the um like the expansion strategy is like you're limited by how many points you're going to get you're getting longer you're counting the longest road so that's yeah. two points you got your first you're basically racing if you to max seven. on if you max on settlements and get longest road you're at seven points but then how are you going to get points eight nine and ten yeah. you're going to need cities or development cards so you need to be diverse enough if you're going for an expansion right. strategy and the and and the you know somebody said to me once they're like i've never seen somebody win this game with only two settlement cities spots mm-hmm. like i didn't i didn't expand at all i built one road but i didn't use it right and i just won with dev cards right um and so you can get so many points from from just doing that you know mm-hmm. but i think uh I don't know. I like the sort of commander role. I want to like build up those cities, and uh, I, I think relying fully on the dev card strategy, I think, can be dangerous. It can be, though. When you get to a point where you're playing with enough skilled players, and this doesn't really happen in the regional competitions, but at nationals, it happens a lot. Is that you will need the development cards because nobody else is building cities first. So you are the target because you're the only one with a city. So it actually becomes important enough to not be the target that development cards become better than that first city. But I do like the reasoning of your, the dev card strategy with city building is means you're, you only expand once probably Mm -hmm. you've got your first two are going to become cities Right, you're probably going to get largest army. So that's already seven points. That's seven points, and then you're going for a few victory point cards. Which Maybe you're one more expansion. Getting. Yep. What I actually like to do is let the development cards I draw determine how my end game looks. Yeah. So if I get a road building, well, then I might be looking to steal longest road as my ninth and tenth points. If I get a year of plenty, two free resources of my choice, I might be looking to make two extra quick expansions and two quick settlements for my ninth and tenth points. Yeah. If I get victory points, well, then that's obvious. Yeah, yeah. But I think development cards are reliable in the sense that if you let them dictate what your end game looks like, I mean, great. You're yeah. flexible. Yeah. So pretty much the end of the game is like trade embargoes. You're racing for these spots, you know, and just trying 
to, you know, convince people that, you know, I, I can't possibly win. Look, look at this potential that they have. And like, you know, so there's yeah. a little bit of like a Avalon resistance kind of thing yeah. happening at the end where you're trying to convince people that you are, you're not, you're not, you're oh, not a threat man. to them. Why you should be lo- like logically placing the robber over here and d- don't take from me. It's like, well, you, c- you know what I have. Yeah. Like, it's like you want, you can trade for me, but Ugh. you know, I've got a bunch of sheep. Is that what you want? That could be exhausting. <laughs> yeah. exhausting. It can be. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so why don't we go into our, our, our top 10. Good, yeah. This is the top 10 mistakes that Catan players make. Ooh. Yep. This pretty much almost kind of sums up everything we've been, we've been talking yep. about. So, so number 10, uh, obsessing over the longest road. And if you're obsessing over the longest road, just realize what you're missing by doing that. You're getting two points now, but those two points now don't help you win. And you're not spending your resource on things that will produce you more resources later. Yeah. Yeah, you become a target. You're ra- I, we just, I love it when people go for that longest road and they just, and two people are going for it. Oh, it's so great. Especially early, all your resources doing that. Well, then it shows that they are probably not your main competition throughout the game. Right. Yeah. Um, number nine placing the robber only according to who has the most cards. <laughs> right. We went over that. I just, uh, it is so annoying. Right. Most points. Uh, and yeah. then most points potential and yeah, right. yeah some other guidelines right like competition if, if someone's at nine but someone else is at eight and more likely to win on their turn well you block the person with eight sure it's sure. really about like yep. killing the leader okay number eight pointing your starting settlement roads towards hexes that are sure to be taken by other players later yeah it's not observing that n plus one rule right of like yeah thinking about what do people go oh that's probably going to be gone so don't point your road towards that like right. people right. do that and they just kind of well, you, right. you can just get boxed in yeah and yep. if you're the first settlement of eight then you really want to point your road towards the ocean where nobody's going yeah just yeah, to get potentially yeah. an expansion spot even if the even if the pips aren't good mm-hmm. yeah um so number seven uh yeah telegraphing placing naked road that's that's blockable so, uh, what is naked road? So, like, let's say that somebody is going to be going in a certain spot. Sometimes you want to be sneaky, right? And often, uh, yeah. You know, there's, there's. I don't want to. I, I don't want to keep these cards. I want to get rid of them. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this road down of where I'm gonna go. And then they're like, oh, oh, they're gonna go there. Oh, they're racing me for the spot. I'm gonna make mm-hmm. sure that I get that spot now. Got now it. they know that you're gonna go there. So they're gonna switch and start focusing on that. But you direction. didn't care about that at all, right? No, no, no. It, you, it's, it, you did care about it, but you telegraphed it. Right. is the problem and maybe you want to consider holding on to that card even at risk of getting hit by the robber because your plans are factor. more important the surprise yeah. of your plans are more Got important okay. yeah. and i think this point is more about telegraphing your moves in general yeah. putting the road out there to say where you're going is the most obvious telegraph but there could be like um i don't know can you trade me uh a certain thing for a certain thing when i have right. four exact cards, and that probably gives me a settlement. Well, you've just told everybody exactly what's in their hand, right. what's in your hand. Yes. So. You're like, oh, I'm looking for a sheep, or, you know, what could you possibly be going for? You know, yeah, yeah. they know you're going for a settlement. Sometimes, what, what we'll do sometimes is say, like, um, well, who needs something? Like, I want to make a trade. What do you need? Right. Well, well what yeah. are you offering? Well, I don't know, anything. A classic part of being good <laughs> in negotiation. I want you to say the is... thing, and I kind of go, uh, sure, I could trade that. Oh, but so that's... You're, you're finding out what they're planning to build. It's more about not revealing what I'm trying to build because I don't want them to go, oh, he's going to get a city out of this. Oh, gotcha. You know, but that is also a classic part of negotiation skill is letting someone else offer first. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, So point number six then uh, would be undervaluing development cards. So I think 
you can probably all infer based on how we've discussed development cards through the past hour that development cards are some of the most powerful things you could ever buy in a game of basic four-player Catan. Mm. Um, and as I said earlier, even the Lowly Knight or the Year of Plenty are great resources to have in your hand. So every development card has a very strong place in the Catan world. So make sure that you get enough dev cards to be able to win your game and then leverage them correctly. Yeah. Now, if a table of four people who just listened to this podcast all sit down and are going to go hard on dev cards, does that change your strategy at all? Yep. To be, well, maybe for Jesse. To be perfectly honest, in a <laughs> lot of high-level tournament games, the dev card deck gets completely bought out. Sure, I would imagine. I mean, if, if, if you are a top-level player and you're saying it's your main strategy, it seems like it would be most people's main strategy then. Yeah, it, and that's what it often devolves into. Um, so then it's a race. Yeah, many national finals are based on luck of who drew the right dev cards. Um, so it, it's funny, like, we talk about how to mitigate your luck, but at the end of the game, at the end of the day, if everybody knows what they're doing very well, it does mm-hmm. go back to luck. Sure, of course, yeah. Well, that brings me to number five, is overvaluing dev cards. Um, and, and I don't mean to pick on the dev card strategy itself, but any strategy that you are, are, are this is your trusty, this is what I love to do. Right. If, it, if the board is not presenting that possibility, then you can't just go for it. Right. It seems like dev card is a great strategy for people who want to go from intermediate to advanced or, you know, beginner to basically... Yeah. If, because if you sit down at a bunch of, you know, your family game of Catan next Christmas, you're going you're gonna to wipe the floor with them if you're going dev yeah, cards. And I would say understanding that the value of a, of a dev card is going to intermediate and then advanced, I think, is also not always going right, situational. to that. situational. Because yes. I, I will, playing with Lumen, I will mess with him. I know where he's going, and, and I can put my, my, my spot in a way that's going to kind of mess yeah, with that strategy. Yeah, you never want to be predictable. Right. I would like to argue that I'm unpredictable enough with starting settlements because I sometimes try to be creative with how I'm getting my development cards. So right. it's often like make a bunch of other stuff and trade it in for the missing development card resource. Yeah. So I don't all I definitely don't always go for the best sheep, wheat, or spot. I will try to get overall good production to buy five plus development cards in a game. Yeah. Right. Okay. Five yeah. is a good number to be aiming for. Five is definitely a good number. Recently in four-player games, I find myself buying nine or ten, wow. and that's probably too much depending on the board, <laughs> uh, but I don't know. It, it often really works. It depends on yeah, sure, sure, what sure. you get and whether you need to keep buying those. Right. All right. Uh, number four, bad trading or trading too willingly. Um, we've definitely covered this a lot, but it's number four. It's very crucial. Yep. And number three, not trading enough. Mm. Again, like, you know, and, and this can hurt me because I think I've been burned so many times by people making bad trades. I want to make a point. Guys, be careful about the trades you're going to make. And so I will make in myself an example of like, I'm not, I'm not going to trade with them. I'm not going to trade with them because, because they're going to get this key thing. And so I get left out of a lot of trades and then they're benefiting. This person's benefiting much more, but that person's also getting a resource. And have well, you ever played a game of Catan where nobody traded one thing? No. That would be would it even be? even the most brutal games. There's there's so even some at the trade. national championships. I mean, people are national championships. Yeah. People are extremely cautious, but there's a lot of trading still. You still want yeah. to trade, probably. Yeah. You know, it is beneficial to you being involved in the trade, sure. as long as you're both getting something of you know equal value, or you're getting something better. Right. So yeah. yeah. 
Um, Number two, uh, not observing normal gaming ideas. Like if you are spending your resources inefficiently or wastefully, if you don't trust the statistics, like you say, oh, you know, I like 11, so I'm going to take that over (laughs) a five or a six. I notice they roll a lot, so I'm going to, that's why I place my settlement. Right. Right. So just use logical sense in the fact that you have to trust those statistics and that over time, the right play will be to take the higher probabilities. And also be careful about what you're spending, what you're obtaining, do things in an efficient way. Yeah. Cause some people get mad. They're like, Oh, you know, cause I would say, well, I don't understand why you're placing the thing on me, the robber on me, because I, I am, I'm, I'm out of this right now. And then I may come back and win. And they're like, see, you won. And it's like, Ooh. well, that's because I was, you know, judicious about where I'm spending my resources. I wasn't just building random roads. Like I'm thinking about, you know, efficiency right. in every step of the way. Right. I have a plan and I'm trying to execute that plan. So, yeah. And then uh, number one. And then number one. Uh, and, and, and we were brainstorming a bunch of these and Lewin put this on there. And, and I think it's, I think <laughs> it's, it's my favorite. So, um, allowing the table to perceive you as the leader. I think that is the, don't do yeah that is a mistake yeah it is yes. a mistake do not yeah. allow the table to perceive you as a leader and that is what so in a i good feel ga- like the good players are doing the entire game yes, right. absolutely in a good I game of Catan, it's where people just go in like I'm, a, I'm just i'm just a guy i'm just a, just a person yeah over they're here trying to either anything. be invisible to the yeah. table or like giving good reasons as to why someone else is doing better right. so something that i've picked up over the years is i always have an excuse of why someone else is doing better than me right um even if I would perceive myself to have a winning position. There's definitely reasons other people are doing better than me. Um, And that's actually one other benefit of the dev card strategy is that your points are not showing on the board. Yeah. And if there are any newer players or intermediate players, if if the whole table is advanced, that kind of like goes away. Yeah, sure. Um, But if there are lesser experienced players, then that is a huge factor in arguing why you're not winning is I just have these five dev cards sitting in my hand. They're not, Scoring right. me points? No way. It's definitely not. A now, when point. you pick up the dice, do you cup both hands together and shake, or do you put them in one hand, shake, and then on what shake are you releasing? I'm. I take the dice. Go ahead. I give him a kiss. Oh. And I say, I love you, Matthew. Oh, amazing! You and named your dice them. Matthew. Yeah. But wow. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. That's what I find. So I go. See, I picked them results. up right. One hand. I go one, two. And when I'm, I'm counting, I'm shaking. Okay. I go one, two, release. Okay, and when I release, they're coming out of the bottom part of my hand. Right, right, right. Yeah. I feel like you'd get this. For yeah. me, I always <laughs> pick them up in my right hand. Go ahead. And I don't shake them at all, and then I release them off my fingertips. I roll them that way. Off the finger, but, the old fingertip trick. Right, but if I've been rolling badly, or if I've been rolling other people's resources too much, I will either change that to like a very long shake in my hand before releasing <laughs> or I'll roll left-handed instead of right. Are there rules? On- I like that you answered this question. I love it. Are, <laughs> I there, ru- are question. there rules on like, can you just pick up the dice and just go uh, and, like gently drop? I think them? there has to be an honest effort to roll them in right. some sense. If you right. drop them from a high enough height, then they'll roll. Right. So what yeah. about dice towers? Does anybody use, bring their own dice tower? I've used a dice tower exactly once in a game of Catan. I have no issues with using it. Yeah. Yeah. I like a good dice tower. I know, I was thinking about it the other night because we had a lot of issues. I don't know what it was about my table, but the they just kept bouncing everywhere. Right. Yeah, it, like it was something dice tower. weird. Yeah. 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 Well, guys, I, that was genuinely interesting. Yeah. I really liked it. I feel, I actually was excited to play Catan. I feel like I could whoop the floor with some noobs. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, we're very happy to make it an enjoyable thing to listen to oh. and bring light to this old game. 
I just wanted to pull that? something out of my out of my pocket here. Oh no! What I just I want you look at this, Matt. It says Jester's predictions. First of all, I hate that you call yourself Jester. <laughs> oh, you've taped it together just to just really like, to let you know that I make sure. Okay, just go ahead and read it. Uh. At some point, Matt will pretend to be mildly impressed and say something along the lines of, I guess Catan is more to it than I thought. <laughs> well, I feel like that is as uh, wild of a prediction as rolling a seven. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, sure. I mean, look, I, I, enjoy, I, I genuinely enjoy Catan. It's not a game that would work in our group because I think we would just find it a little simplistic. Yeah. But I think the high-level Catan is interesting. And yeah. I think, in fact, playing... Now, I do think once you get to the very high levels, much like, I ha- much like sort of my problem with really high-level Magic the Gathering, is I don't like... Where everybody's playing the same. There's, you know, there's three decks in the meta, right? And those are the three or four decks in the championship meta. And then really the game is decided by card draw. Which to me is just like... That breaks the game to me. That's just yeah. like, it's not necessarily very exciting. Just it's really, have, who's yeah. going to draw better? And I think, I think Catan has that problem in very high-level play as well. I would agree. It's going to come down to where are the victory points in the dev cards and how often are you rolling what you need. And the way you mitigate that is by having more rounds. So over okay. time, sure. you reward yes. skill by making... But if everybody's at the exact same level, then that... I think that is not necessarily so. But, maybe but that's like saying this. it's like saying okay. Holden. There's no reason to play it with high level players because it's all going to come down to whatever. But you know, it's tactical. It's like in this yeah. situation, I sure. chose to do this. So sure. maybe Jesse, I think you hit on a potential answer for your first question of the day: is what would make Katana a better game? And I guess we've come to agree that reducing luck a tiny bit might be good. And one way to do that would be to lengthen the game in some way. So it's a number of games played. Yeah. Or each individual game, like make the goal 12 points and have an additional thing to track. So that's another reason why the expansions are better. Maybe. Mm. Well, they do that with, you know, season nights, just 13 right. points. Right. I don't know if I would make the base game go to 12 points. Even because 11, that rewards yeah. certain strategies than others. Yeah. Um, that kind of breaks the dynamic, I think a little bit, but, but in tournaments, I really do wish, that you know they had more rounds for the semis and the finals yeah that would seem to be more fair like cut the players to like reduce it to a quarter or a third of the original size and then play a couple more rounds yeah yeah i know it's a longer day but it would be like more fair in terms of like evaluating who's the highest skill but at the end of the day this is something i've picked up from sports is that tournaments and playoffs are not about choosing the best player or team. Tournaments and playoffs choose a winner. Sure. But but sure. they're yeah. sure. right, but they but they're not played in one match like, you know, we got the basketball finals right well, now. You have you know. the UEFA Champions League final is one game where the semifinals are, you know, home and away. Like there's plenty of examples all over the world where a competition is most exciting where it's a one game final. And you know, that's just part of the enjoyment. And even if it doesn't always select for skill, it, it has pluses to it. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. I think we have some time for a couple Game okay. Sommelier songs, and I, I would love both of your thoughts on these. Uh, Game Sommelier songs. I'm just about to play the song. Game Sommelier <laughs> questions. Here is the theme song for that. That's a, that's a box that was, fart. That's a great song. Did you write that? some dice rolls. And now here's the song. Sometimes a player just got to know which game should stay. Which game should go? Which to play with my mom, my dad, my boo? You got to tell me, monsieur, just what to do. 
Want to make an impression, but I can't get far. As my 50th player of Agricola. A million games. Show me the way to the master. The game sommelier. Never tire of that. I love it. Never love tire it. of <laughs> that. First question we have is from uh, Rick. I know it's a lot lighter than your normal games, but my favorite game of all time is Suro, which is T-S-U-R-O. To me, it's a game that's easy to learn, but you have to think numerous steps ahead. And the fact that tiles are randomized means that anyone has a shot at winning, so I can easily teach it to family and friends. Can you recommend something else in this vein of quick, easy to learn, but thoughtful? Jesse Lumen, any thoughts off the top of your head? Have you have you played Suro before? It's a, I don't it's know. It's a tile laying sort of. You're building a snaky dragon kind of. It's a tactical little bit of abstract, but it is a mainly a tile a tile laying game. Um, and he wants something with tiles. You said. Well, in that vein, I think Isle of Sky is a really good option for him. Uh, it is by Alexander Fister, who's uh, one of our favorite designers. He did uh, Great Western Trail, etc. Uh, but that is a tiling game. Uh, uh, Isle, say, oh. Isle of Sky is often considered the, the step up from Carcassonne, um, which is the most famous tiling yep. game, sort of the the, the 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 game many people play alongside Catan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Isle of Sky is definitely worth checking out. It is uh, BGG rates it as a 2.24 in weight. Um, it's also on an app you can try. It. The app is great. I've, I actually enjoy the app. Um, so I you can try it before you buy. I would say Lanterns, maybe, is a mm-hmm. good one. Sure. Um, you, you've played that, right? Uh, I have not, but I know what it is. I've seen oh. it. Um, yeah, you're 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 having the 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 was it the harvest festival, mm-hmm. and you're trying you're having a fireworks display, I believe mm-hmm. it is, or something. Wait, am I confusing that with? Yeah, uh, you're confusing that with yeah, uh, yeah the, the hanabi the, or the, yeah hanabi the spiel des Jahres one. Yeah. Um, but but it is something similar. There is some sort of festival, and and uh, it's you're pointing your tiles in different directections, and, right? And uh, uh, it, it's I'm not describing it well, but it's a great game. All right, those or, are some it's good a simple, options. simple. Yeah, um, I admittedly. Don't have anything coming off the top of my head at a lower complexity, but as uh, one we've mentioned before is Castles of Burgundy. And one thing I would say that reduces the complexity is that the description of each tile is printed on the board in an iconography sense. And it was the first game I played where the iconography just taught the whole game. There was no real need to reach into the rule book. So there's a lot of point tracking in that one, but it does lay tiles. You're all making something yeah 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 all right great next question is from justin we're a relatively new game group and we're making our way through our flgs's library of free stay and play games currently seven wonders bgg weight of 2.3 is the heaviest we've played what's the board game path or tech tree we need to follow to get us up to gaia project or heavier high three low four weighted games i love the look of scythe and terraforming mars but definitely feel like we need to train our way up there for fear of burning out on something too hard that may ruin future experiences. My, my, it's, it's my two step-ups that we mentioned already, which I, I genuinely think are your great light to medium step-ups. You're trying to get to medium weight games. I think mm-hmm. you play light medium weight games. And the two best to me are Concordia and Castles of Burgundy. I would also potentially throw a new game Res Arcana in there, which I think is a great low medium weight game that mm-hmm. plays fast, has the same uh, mechanic as uh, or mechanism as uh, Settlers of Catan and that it ends at, at 10 points. And so it is a fun race of trying to figure out who's getting closer. Mm-hmm. But it mixes some terraforming Mars drafting aspects. Um, and I think you want to find a game that has a lot of mechanisms that you'll find often in Euros. Yeah. I was going to say Lords of Waterdeep. Sure. That, it's just, not overly complex. No. But I feel like it's right. Waterdeep is, is good training ground for definitely. It, if, if, if you wanted you, you sort of my first worker placement game, uh, you could do a lot worse than Lords of Waterdeep. Yeah, absolutely. 
yeah, I, I don't really have any suggestions. The thing about Lumen <laughs> that I love, and, and I'm disappointed, is I wish he played more games. He plays Agricola. He loves to play Agricola. And have you heard of this game called Agricola? <laughs> yeah, this is true. And Settlers. I mean, uh, so Settlers was definitely the thing I focused on a lot in the beginning. In the past year, I've played a lot of Terra Mystica um, and gotten pretty good at it. Um, and now Terraforming and, Mars. And Terraforming Mars, also in the past year, I've probably played two to three hundred times, which wow. is a so hundred too many. You a, either, a lot of people have sort of transitioned from Agricola yeah. to Terraforming Mars, I've heard. Yeah. Right. It's the new, yeah. yeah. So you only play things with sheep or with the word Terra. When you, when, you, sheep when you play Terraform Mars, <laughs> what, what expansions do you play with? All of them. Um, and I mean, I've played enough to where I'm familiar with all the cards. If you name a card, I could tell you exactly what it costs, what it does, and all that. What are your thoughts on Colonies? Colonies is a very steep learning curve in terms of added complexity relative to the other expansions, even more than Venus Next. Yeah. Um, colonies really changes up some of the math that you originally learn from like what's good in terraforming Mars base game colonies really messes with that math. Right. Because you can, Um, you can get these huge resource injections that you couldn't get before out of nowhere. Yeah. For example, it makes energy from one of the least useful things to acquire into one of the most. Yeah. If not the most, I think it was a necessary expansion. I think it really balanced the game in a nice way. Well, I, from what I've gathered, you like the more complex games. So I'm not surprised to hear you say that, but yes, it does add even more skill. And I like expansions that aren't, necessary to focus on sometimes i mean and it's, i don't think you have to play the colonies game to do well but i think it's it's a, you need a tiny bit of it yeah you need a little bit of but it's also it, it opens up new it makes you more flexible in your sure. strategies yep. um all right uh next one this is from duncan uh i'm a former bunhead and a huge fan of what you've been doing with game brain i got into board games from listening to your old podcast and i'm now fully committed to the life of a bgg scrolling obsessive quite helpfully for this transition my girlfriend has been enjoying playing games as well this includes heavier games such as agricola scythe and kemet but we uh you usually only play in larger groups with friends at home we rarely play and when we do she is most interested in playing something fairly quick to set up and play such as dominion or the word game bananagrams fun game most important for her is the turns is that the turns are quick she has no patience for players who suffer from ap and drawn out player turns is the biggest issue that takes away from her enjoyment i was wondering if you could recommend a game that feels fast to play in terms of player turns without much setup but still has a good amount of strategic depth i tried race for the galaxy thinking this would be perfect for this niche but my girlfriend found the rules too clunky and could not get into it two player games yeah, I I expect two player games are probably the better path to go um, here. Patchwork, yeah, patchwork, pa- super fast. Might be a little light for them considering that they play uh, Agricola and Scythe and Kemet. Uh, I, I think Resarcana. Is, you cannot find faster turns than Resarcana. I know I keep singing its praises, and we're really probably going to review it this cycle. But okay. I, I I'm enamored. With I it. wish I loved it more. Really, I think it's fantastic. I think it's just solid. Solid Euro mechanisms with with card drafting with card play. I think it just sort of it takes. It, 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 it feels to me like a really great nuts and bolts engine builder with, with which has some modern elements mixed. I feel in. like if I couldn't get my engine building early enough, then it was, I already know who's going to win this game. Well, but then, but you just have to get better so that you make sure that your engine is <laughs> building faster. But it was sort of luck of the draw. And it was like, no, we're drafting. There's full draft. No, no, I know. I did the draft deck. and then I drew the cards that I had. And then I was like, Oh, well, you know, it didn't really line up this time and I can try and get this. And Oh, well, he already got that out. And then it just kind of keeps going, and I can't really. Catch I, can't, up. I haven't played enough to say for sure how important variance is, but I've felt like I don't know. I win a lot, so maybe I feel <laughs> good about it. But I, I feel there must like be it's, a lot of luck in the game. Then, well, yeah, maybe I don't know. It's possible. I feel like I'm. I'm. I, I really enjoy. It's one of my favorite things that happens in board games is being given a box of lemons and trying to make lemonade. And I, I, this game does that in the fastest injection one hour game version, where it's just like here's a bunch of crap, which is what Terraform Mars is. Great, it's like here's a bunch of crap. 
make it beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I really enjoy that. In so Terraforming yeah. Mars actually is something that plays fine at two player. It's mm-hmm. a much more of an engine building game than a points race game. Yeah. Um, and then and there's very, have, very fast turns in Terraforming Mars too. Very fast. Uh, turns. Well, I think actually <laughs> that is a, a downfall. Like you could probably get overwhelmed. Yeah, no, it, it, um, it, it's a complicated game. But I mean, in terms of things you do, on, I mean, I don't think it, it, always, it keeps moving. Yes. It's very rare a player sits there going, oh, what am I going to do? The first it's, thing, your, your turns are boom, hard, done. Yeah, the first thing that came to mind when I heard this question is Seven Wonders Duel. Yeah, I mean, Seven it, Wonders Duel yeah. is a great two-player game. It might not be complex game. enough if, if no, you really good. like that, but there's definitely some depth there. Code names, duet. Yeah, I have, I, do you like it at two? Sure. I mean, I know it's only a two. I mean, like, do you do you like it as an experience? We, me and my girlfriend, play that a lot. Okay. Um, also, by the way, uh, innovations. Yeah. Innovation, yeah. That's pretty. Um, it could be pretty. I just learned heavy. that one. Pretty heavy. Right. All, all, I thought all, it was, all uh, Carl some things games were not heavy. complicated enough. Yeah. So if they want something a little more, yeah, yeah, complicated, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of reading in that. Like it's, yeah. it can be a little a, AP, but yeah. you know a little bit. And it's, it's one of those games good. where, well, much like Race for the Galaxy, I think you really have to know the the cards in order to to yeah. enjoy it. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think Seven Wonders Duel is a great option. If you, yeah. people haven't checked that out, it's a two-player version of Seven Wonders that's really fun, really fast, yeah. and with a pretty quick setup. It's just a deck of little mini cards. Right. Um, that is a fun game. All right, let's do one more. This question is from Justin. Uh, nope, nope, not that one. This question is from Andrew. Do you have any recommendations for app versions of board games you love? I'm thinking of the heavier or maybe medium heavy games looking for solo play against the AI and random online opponents. So I'm interested in how the games implement one or both of those features. I have so many. I'm going to actually pull up my iPad and uh, read you some of my favorites. Uh, do you have a suggestion? Well, I mean, uh, I, <laughs> have you heard of this game called Agricola? Uh, so I actually learned Agricola through the app. Um, the if you play against the master ai you will <laughs> learn enough to become decent at the game yeah. um and then but it is not a master it, no all. once you get really good at agricola you're going to completely destroy those ai but like it's it will teach you the game learn. and it will get you to a workable level and and particularly the um the single player um i feel oh, like the solo series is definitely strategy great yeah. way to learn how to build your engines and yes. and, and efficiency uh, and learn all the cards. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's, I think yeah. for me, so I, I really love digital board games. And me it, too. it's sort of the main use of my iPad in a lot of ways, other than watching Before you YouTube. go down that path. Yes. Because I, 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 one that I play a lot of is uh, Stone Age, mm-hmm. actually. Okay. I, I, I think it's a really solid. That's also a good entry, entry level worker placement. Yeah. So let me tell you some of my favorites here, because I, I, I play a lot of them. And I think the main reason I play them is to get better at playing them physically. Mm-hmm. But I also enjoy them as well. So uh, I, the, 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 to me, the two best implementations ever made are Through the Ages and Twilight Struggle. I think the Through the Ages app is probably the best. It's a very heavy, incredible game, which I wish we played more I often. It was available on that app. And it's a perfect implementation of it. And it is one of those games that you need to play a lot to get better at. Yeah. And it is such a great way to do it. It is such a great heavy game. It's, there's a reason it's on many heavy Euro gamers top three if not their number one i'm gonna back that suggestion up very heartily even though i have played less than one full game of through the ages myself (laughs) everybody i know who likes through the ages says the app is bar none the best way to play it It, it's the best board game implementation i've ever played the second would be twilight struggle which i think is fantastic and one of the best games ever made and also a game that repetition is necessary in order to even enjoy it because just knowing the card pool is absolutely integral to to getting any enjoyment out of the game or even being able to play it at a low level of strategy i've been thinking about this this game brain games on the brain twilight struggle has been like it keeps coming back to me i've only played it once oh but i 
love that game. And I was like, this is a game that I would obsess over. I want more opportunity to play it. I don't think we're ever going to play it here. I'm not going to Tom and I both play online. You're welcome to start some. All these games have asynchronous options. So you can take a turn. You can set a timer. You have a 45-day timer on Twilight Struggle. One of my games with Tom actually ran out of time because I was so bad (laughs) at doing my turns. Uh, but yeah, you can set very long timers for these and, you know, your opponent will have a, you know, a couple days to respond and you can just, you know, it's something you can it. pull out, you know, when you have 30 seconds here and there. Are you aware of Warlight, by the way? No. What is Warlight? Warlight is what Risk should have been. Okay. Risk is a broken game, but well, Warlight... Sure, you, just, you just put everything on Australia and you win. Yeah. But with Warlight, you, I mean, you can customize your own boards. You, it's a great game with two people. You can play with a hundred people. And you you don't just do a success like attacks. You can attack everywhere that you're adjacent to, which makes more sense. And mm-hmm. it's just really, it's a really solid. All right, I'll like, check it out. It's what Risk should have been. It's just an app. It's not an actual board it's game. It's an app. And I've been Got playing it. for years. Let me just list some other ones that I really love. I think Lahav is a great implementation. One of my favorite Uwe Rosenberg games. And also a game that it's, has a huge stack of cards that are different every game. And the only way to really know the game well is to play it in repetition. The Terra Mystic app is great. I really wish yep. it was a Gaia Project app, as I think that's the much better game i think they are developing one they better be because that'll ruin my life and i would i would enjoy that um but the terramistic app is great it's a great way to learn how to play uh it's a little clunky to me and a little slow you actually it's very slow you actually the, the the opponent you choose the ai opponent tells you how long each of their turns take and there's i think the hard will take 20 something seconds between turns so and the hard isn't even a good player yeah so yeah. it's a little rough brass i think is a great implementation of brass this is this would be brass lancashire now that they've sort of rebranded mm-hmm. them not brass birmingham uh, and not with the new nice and beautiful art, but Brass is a fantastic game and also a game that gets better in repetition. Uh, Inland Port is a fun sort of two-player version of Lahav, which is also great as an app. The Greco app, of course, is great. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is a very fun app, something I used to play a lot. Splendor is good. Uh, I like Elder Sign, which is a, actually a, a game that I, I, I sold in my collection but still play regularly on uh, the app. It's a fun. Tichu app is great. If Tichu is one of our know. favorite card games, there is a lovely... Uh, the, the AI is not even that horrible at it. He's... He or she can be a pretty good partner to you. Uh, Eclipse is fun. Pathfinder Adventures is a board game that you couldn't pay me a million dollars to play, but I actually really like the app. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, it's a really fun sort of dice RPG. Castles of Burgundy is a beautiful implementation that just came out recently and mm-hmm. is really nice, but you kind of need a new phone or iPad to play it. The graphics it, did look pretty the graphic, high level. The graphics are really nice, but it is, it, it, I don't think I have a game on my iPad that chugs slower than, than Castle Burgundy. It somehow just like needs a lot of processing power. One game that I don't think you can really play on online is, uh, or as an app is uh, Catan because of the trading. Right. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a completely different dynamic. The trading, well, just finishing up the Catan still, the live game play is so different than any online play. Yeah. And it is yeah. specifically, it's like poker in that sense. Yeah. It's trading, like poker. Yeah. Online poker is just a totally yeah. different game. Right. And you can't see your opponent. Um, I'll just run through a couple other ones here. I uh, I like um, uh, the Isle of Sky app, as we said. There's a Race for the Galaxy app that's totally fine. Sentinels of the Multiverse is another game that I wouldn't really enjoy in person, but uh, I like the app. I've played it a bunch. Card Crawl is not a board game, but feels like one. Um, I would put in that genre also Slay the Spire is a masterpiece and probably the best uh, deck builder ever made, but is not actually a board game. Um, Star Realms is super fun. Evolution, which is a new app that came out recently, which I've been enjoying. Uh, Ascension has been around forever, but it's still a fun little deck builder. And uh, most recently, uh, One Deck Dungeon and uh, oh boy, oh, uh, Shards of uh, Shards of Infinity are two very fun games that I really enjoy a lot. So there are there is a ton of wonderful board game apps that you can find either if you're on 
uh, Samsung or Apple. Yeah, um, there's a couple more entry-level games that are very well done in the app and do support online play. Seven Wonders and Carcassonne. Yep. Carcassonne, it has all the expansions as in-app purchases. Uh, very beautiful, doesn't kill your battery. Yeah. And then Seven Wonders, super doesn't kill your battery. Very quick in the app against AIs, and I'm pretty sure I've played a few online games there too. Yeah. Small World. Yep, Small World's fun, sure. I've only played on the app, but I've enjoyed that. Yeah, so I mean, all these games have online opponents or AI. Uh, I, I'm most interested in games that have asynchronous play. As I, If I'm going to play with a friend, I, I'm not going to sit there for an hour and play it because we could just get together. But I do like the idea of being able to take my time on my turns and press send, and the other person can do the same, and we can you know take a or few light. days. Yeah, all right, I'll check it out. <laughs> um, look, guys, I think we did a good job. I'm Just as a quick little aside, we're gonna, I've, last week's episode was bananas long, and we're going to try not to do that again. That was three hours. We're, I'm going to try to keep all the episodes from now on between an hour and a half and two hours. Um, can't promise I'll always do it, but we have done it today, and I think we did a good job. Thank you so much, Lumen, for joining us. Absolutely. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you. If we do an Agricola thing, we'll definitely bring you back to talk about that. Um, Jesse, thank you for... Yeah. Uh, you know, just being this high-level Tiddlywinks player. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you can find Jesse at Tiddly, Tid, TiddlyCon uh, tw- 2019. He'll be you there. So much, <laughs> um, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, you can learn all the stuff about us at GameBrainPod.com or through our Facebook group, which is Facebook.com backslash group backslash GameBrainPod. Uh, you've been listening to the Game Brain produced and edited by Matthew Robinson special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music you might know him as Alfred on the show more on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com you can get all of his socials there you can reach me by email at Matthew at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod Instagram is also at GameBrainPod thanks for listening and go play some games with friends or go make some friends with games <laughs>